50. Delicious. Alden had asked about the demons because he'd been wondering if the big one that had made the trails in the grass, or others like it, might work differently than the bug types. The grasshopper demons didn't respond to stimuli and they didn't seem to eat. If other types were attracted to loud noises or they were more intelligent and capable of seeking prey, that was something Alden needed to know for plans two and three. Plan one had just become plan one thanks to Kibi's explanation of chaos potential. Alden had maybe possessed high potential as a child, according to Hannah's theory about why her bubble spell wouldn't work quite right on him. Apparently he no longer did, according to Kibi's assurance that high chaos individuals would demonize very quickly when they encountered corruption. Thanks, system. But also, and maybe more so, thanks, Gorgon. Being double-stabilized was even better than he'd thought on that first day while he was dodging around the bugs. Plan 1 now seemed a little more viable than the other options. Alden, why are you cooking all my favorite foods? Kibi sat at the kitchen table, completely bundled up in the lab coat with a deep hood pulled so low over her face that he couldn't see anything but her chin. Because we're going to be spending every single minute we can in the vault from now on, and we won't have the kitchen anymore. Alden smashed a bean burger into a pan full of oil with the back of a wooden spatula. That was about 10% of the reason. They'd already been eating mostly from the stores in the vault. Alden was just scared that one or both of them were about to die way faster than they otherwise would, and cooking a last meal seemed like the thing you were supposed to do in that situation. I have a secret, he said, pressing the button on the blender box to puree a bunch of thunder lettuce. It's a secret nobody knows about except for me and one other friend. And the system. But the system wasn't really somebody. Are you going to tell it to me? Kibi asked. I am. She hopped out of the chair. I'll get the ink, she said eagerly. Alden rolled his eyes. No, no contract tattoos. The day after she'd first spotted his, she had disappeared into Joe's old rooms and reappeared shortly afterward with magic ink and brushes. Periodically, she still tried to come up with reasons for them to use it on each other. Alden understood she wanted to look like a real wizard, but he was too much of a human to go along with it. But it's the best way to keep an important secret, she protested. Nobody will be able to take it from me even under torture. The coat was so long on her that it was puddling on the floor. Melty Mini Reaper, thought Alden. One who needs to watch happier television. Listen, he said, pouring the puree into a bowl. If someone threatens to torture you, you should absolutely tell them my secret. You should tell them anything and everything they want to know about me. You should even lie to them and tell them I'm a horrible human who forced you to teach him magic against your will. That might be something you would get in trouble for. I don't really know how people will feel about it. Never. I doubt it's going to come up. Since nobody knows my secret, they don't even know to ask you about it. As long as you don't bring it up yourself, it'll be fine. She didn't move to sit back down. He sighed. Fine. I promise when you're older and you want to make your first contract, 
you can summon me, and we can get tattoos together. Really? I swear. On our faces, she said immediately. If it's going on our faces, then I get to pick the entire design. And the size. Yes. She trotted back over to her chair. My secret is that I'm a little different from other human avowed. Because you can feel your authority, said Kibi. Because I am your instructor. Alden dumped some of the canned meat she liked onto a plate. That too. I really am stacking up the abnormalities, aren't I? But even before I met you, I was different. I have a friend who gave me something. I don't know what to call it. It's a magic thing, and I think it makes me, there's a way for authority to be more stable and tougher, right? Without necessarily being larger in amount? And maybe that's part of what gives a person lower potential for chaos? There is higher quality authority. There is also higher attachment and higher control over it, said Kibi, shoving back her hood to look at Alden with interest. Most people get better in that way when they practice a lot. But some people start out better than others. I thought you were like that? I don't think so. He set their small feast on the table and sat down across from her. Your friend gave you a good gift. Yes. I'm going to try to share it with you, but don't get excited. It might not work. I don't know how my friend did it, so I don't know if I even can. She looked very excited. You're going to want to eat all of your meat, Alden said. Eat until you're full, and then we'll try it. She started shoveling food into her mouth. I'm going to eat my own meal at a normal speed, Alden told her dryly. So there's no point in you racing through yours. Kibi swallowed. Do you have to do a hard spell on me? Is that how it works? No. It's a little, Alden tried to think of a way to tell her without it sounding disturbing, but there just wasn't one. I'm going to drink some of your blood, if you don't mind. Alden felt like a normal response to someone telling you he wanted to drink your blood was E.W. Ick. Get away from me. He should have known by now that Artanans were built a little different. A lifetime ago, he'd watched Jelnor's assistants peel loads of magical dead things for her so that she could merrily braid their skins into a bracelet. Kibi's reaction to his request was extreme enthusiasm combined with a desire to ritualize the event so that it would be even more like something out of a documentary about murder cults. She shuffled around the kitchen in the robe, examining all the dishes critically, trying to find exactly the right vessel for the mystical experience they were about to have together. Alden stared at her from his seat at the table, trying not to touch the logograms she'd painted all over it. The few he could read said things like, great power and a delicious. He cleared his throat, Kibi, you heard me about the no more meat situation, right? Yes, I am not a carnivore, so why does it matter? She pushed aside a tall glass and reached for a ceramic bowl with gold paint on the rim. And you were paying attention when I told you I hear voices in my head? She bounced. I will be like a natural prophet of the ancient times. I don't think so, Alden muttered. Unless the voices they heard were very hard to understand and get along with. 
Also, this might not work at all. I will fill this with my blood for you, she said proudly, holding out the chosen bowl. Um, no. That thing is huge. I was going to ask you to poke your finger and bleed onto a cracker or something. I'm sure that will be enough. You can't mix my blood with other ingredients. Alden stared at her. Her expression was so offended. But Gorgon got to use salsa. All right, he said slowly. You can use the bowl, but you can only put a little bit of blood in it. She marched over with the bowl and a sharp knife and set them in front of him. Then she started shoving up the sleeves of the lab coat to bare her arms. One. Finger. Alden grabbed the knife. Or I'll just eat a piece of your hair and we'll see if that works. Pouting a little, Kibby gave him her right thumb. Maybe we should chill it first, so it doesn't hurt as much. We could take something out of the fridge. She reached over and jabbed the pad of her thumb against the knife's point. She held it over the bowl. How many drops? she asked. Three? I'm sure it needs to be more than that. I'm not a very strong wizard. Yet, said Alden. She smiled. Three is fine, he added. I've already done twelve. How? Was she bleeding fast on purpose? Twelve is a good number. Let's stop there. He took the bowl away and made her wrap her finger with a bandage he'd brought from one of the lab's first aid kits. Then he made her sit on the floor, just in case she was going to faint from whatever was going to happen. He would have, too, but someone had to sit at the decorated table or all her hard work would go to waste. Why do you look nervous? Kibby asked. Because I don't know what will happen. Are you ready? Yes. Alden wished she'd look away so he could sneakily take the single drop on a cracker root, but she was staring at him avidly. Idiot. Just lick the blood out of the special bowl before you chicken out. He closed his eyes and did it. It tasted a lot like his own blood, though it was unexpectedly acidic. He set the bowl back down. His pulse was racing as he met Kibby's eyes. He could tell she was holding her breath. He was, too. Nothing's happening. It had always been a possibility. He thought it was even the most likely one. Just because Gorgon could do some arcane thing with an exchange of blood didn't mean Alden could, too. It's all right if nothing happens. We just move on to plan two. Dimensions away, in the Artinan Consulate Building in Chicago, Illinois. A gray hand froze as it was reaching out to lock the front doors for the night. Oh my, said Gorgon, in a language nobody on the planet could have understood. I wasn't expecting this. 51. Take me somewhere better. Kibby, I'm so sorry, Alden said, staring down into her wide brown eyes. I told you it might not work. Don't worry. I have a lot of other plans. She was frozen in place, waiting for a magic Alden apparently couldn't produce. Kibby. Your Artanen is vastly improved. It was Alden's turn to freeze. It definitely wasn't Kibby. She was still sitting on the floor by his chair, unblinking. And that high, strange speech with the undertone of breaking glass. He slowly turned in the direction the voice had come from and saw a familiar gray alien with black eyes staring right at him. Gorgon, he breathed. 
and then, a moment later, he was out of his chair and... We're hugging? That's new. Gorgon, shouted Alden. Are you here? Are you real? I am real, he said, squirming away from Alden, who had to force himself to let go. But I am only here, if by here you mean... Projected across dimensions into Alden's mind through an uncontrollable urge to provide guidance to my spiritual progeny. Hello. I am shocked you are still alive. I am so happy to see you, Alden gasped. Even if it's just in my head. I... Gorgon held up a hand. Wait. Time is extremely limited. This feature of myself isn't one I am accustomed to. It's supposed to be triggered in my death cave shortly after you have feasted on my corpse. What? The alien was leaning around Alden to examine the kitchen with interest. I was never a fan of the life-sacrifice tradition, so I skipped it. I'm much older and more powerful than I should be. I thought I could probably get away with transferring some of the benefits of my inheritance to you without the bother of dying and being eaten. Clearly, I was more successful than I intended. He was staring at Kibi. You can talk without restrictions, Alden said. He was still so busy processing his shock at the fact that he was speaking to Gorgon at all, he was surprised he'd even realized. Gorgon smiled at his wrists. Yes, no bindings in the mind space. It's been decades. I'd like to spend the next few minutes relishing in even this false freedom, but wasting the entirety of your first right for that seems too blasphemous. Even for me, even if you've chosen to perform it for an Artanan. This is Kibi, Alden said in a rush. I want to protect her. I can tell. Things like that are very obvious in this place if you know what you're doing. Come here quickly. He walked over to Kibi and crouched down. Alden followed and knelt beside him. After staring into the little girl's eyes for a moment, Gorgon said, This is going to be a disappointing first experience for you. I'm not what you think. And this doesn't work at all like you're hoping it will. I wanted to share whatever you did to me with her. It made me, I think it made my authority less susceptible to corruption. It did. But you can't pass it on, Gorgon said in a matter-of-fact voice. You're too young, too weak, too alive. You don't initiate that process in this way. Drinking the successor's blood is the second-to-last step in the inheritance, not the first. And you're carrying an altered version of the gift anyway. You're incomplete. He looked back at Kibi. She's exhausted, he noted, running a gray finger idly over the demon-damaged sleeve of the lab coat. It's due to a chaos storm? We're trapped on Moon the Gund. More like a gentle chaos breeze then. But I'm surprised you somehow ended up in one. Though I am loath to admit it, most wizards wouldn't throw inexperienced humans, B-ranks, or rabbits into such an environment. It's too wasteful. You have bad luck. He examined Alden's face and then made an annoyed click with his forked tongue. Never mind. You volunteered. I didn't know exactly what. You're frustrating. Be quiet and learn an ancient duty that has no place in today's universe. As soon as he said that, Alden became focused in a completely unfamiliar way. 
The room around them blurred into random colors so that he couldn't make out any of the details save for himself, Kibi, and Gorgon. My people practiced magic, though not in a form you would be familiar with, said Gorgon, pacing around Kibi and tilting his head from side to side as if he were trying to examine her from different angles. Humanity would see us as primitive in almost every way. But I think our understanding of life was so different that it's difficult to make a real comparison. For us, power was a thing that came only through sacrifice. He stopped walking and stared at Alden. A few among us were chosen to measure and spend souls in order to aid them in the fulfillment of their true will, he said. That is how my teacher described it to me, and I feel like I should describe it to you in that way first. It was a position of great meaning to my kind, and it was one that I always looked down on. And now that I am alone, I wish I had at least pretended not to. Alden didn't know what the respectful thing to say was, so he just nodded. Anyway, in more technical terms the right you just triggered by drinking the girl's blood allows us to intermediate between a person and their own magical potential. Most of my people could not control the power they held, so those like me enabled them to use it. They came to us, we read their needs and desires, and gave them what they wanted if it was possible and fell within our very strict notions of what constituted a proper miracle. Basically, I was the village wishing well. That was not at all what Alden had been expecting. So, you granted wishes. Just like that? Not that simple. It required a lot of training. Come look into the girl's eyes and see. If you can see. I'm not entirely sure what I transferred to you, or how it's been modified by the fact that you're not the right species. You don't know what you did to me? Alden said, surprised. I know what I meant to do. But you wouldn't even have noticed I'd enhanced you if it had gone exactly as I intended. Alden had more questions, but Kibi came first. I just have to stare into her eyes? He leaned forward and peered into them. Nothing's happening. Here, said Gorgon, let me give you a push. All of the sudden, Alden was immersed in a sea of deep emotions and desperate wants that didn't belong to him. He was so scared. He missed them. The chaos kept trying to take him away from himself. He was tired. He didn't want to die. He missed them so much, and it was his fault that they were gone. The guilt was crushing. He wanted them back. He'd give anything to have them back. Anything. Anything. That kind of desire is common, Gorgon's voice said from a long way away. Nobody has enough strength to raise the long dead, though. Focus on the feeling for a moment. It will help you both to move past it. Alden couldn't quit focusing on it. Gorgon's voice had helped him to separate himself enough from the yearning to finally realize that no part of it was his. It was entirely Kibi's longing to have her father and sister back. But he was still drawn to the overwhelming power of the emotion. He examined it, closer, closer, as if he'd finally given it permission to do what it had always wanted, the gremlin in Alden's brain took over. Something was weighed just beyond the limits of his understanding. Some part of him looked even deeper. No, it said firmly, not that. 
There was not enough of Kibi to pay for that. She would end. It was fine for her to end, but it was unacceptable for the end to buy her nothing in return. Spending her in this way would create a perpetual unevenness. It was not allowed. Of course I can't bring her family back. But can't I do something to make her stronger? Alden asked desperately. Strong enough to survive until help comes? No. Try it. Focus on her exhaustion, on the way she is under assault from the environment you found yourself in. You'll see. Alden focused. The gremlin did too. It became confused. Flawed? It said, much more tentatively than it had when it was nitpicking Joe's private contract to death. I don't understand. And it, the thing in my brain, doesn't understand? That's because a successful right requires the destruction of the very resource you're aware you need to enhance. On top of that, they think your alignment with the supplicants will might be flawed. They care a great deal about making sure you understand her. I am a little glad I passed that part on to you. It's quite helpful even today. But they won't allow the right to take place if you can't come to an accord. Alden frowned. He didn't look away from Kibi's eyes. He could feel a profound rejection from her at the word destruction. Some part of her was aware of what Gorgon had said. The right destroys authority? Sacrifice for power, said Gorgon simply. As I said, a disappointing first experience for you. It was an expensive method of performing magic in more ways than one. And it has little use in the present we both live in. Take me somewhere better now. What? I have been chained to a desk for years. Literally. I want to see something other than an artinan kitchen. Wait, Gorgon. This can't be all there is. Isn't there something else we could? All of the sudden the two of them were sitting side by side in familiar blue plastic seats. Buildings slid past the windows. So this is the L, said Gorgon, turning and pressing his face to the glass. I have never ridden it. Kibby. Alden leaped up. Where did she? The girl is exactly where you left her. Right beside you in the kitchen. It's only been two or three minutes, and I think I can only afford a couple more. Why is this your favorite memory of the L? Oh, was it? Alden wasn't sure how he would even know what his favorite memory of public transport was without a lot of thought. But then he spotted a box on the seat across from him, and he realized it was true. I didn't like lunch at school that day, he said. And Aunt Connie was in a party-all-night phase, so I knew there wasn't going to be anything but cereal for dinner at home. The woman who got off the train at the last stop accidentally left behind an entire pizza. Gorgon's posture brightened. He stood and grabbed the box. Then he took a slice so hot the cheese strung almost a foot when he tried to separate it from its fellows and shoved it into his mouth. He thrust the box toward Alden. Can't I do anything to help her? Alden demanded. Gorgon was chewing like he fully intended to finish off the piece and several more in addition before time ran out. He gulped down a quantity of pizza that would have choked a human and said, not with the right. And I'm going to ask you not to do this again, please, unless both of our circumstances become much different than they are now. 
I have a feeling the price of this unexpected mental field trip is going to be very high for me. Also, if you'd done this with a wizard with real power and experience, they wouldn't have been pulled under into the pleasant mental state the child is enjoying right now. They would be quite aware that they were being deeply accessed. Gorgon waved the pizza box at him again. It smelled heavenly. Sighing, Alden took a piece and bit into it. Even as upset as he was, he had to hold back a moan. The pizza tasted exactly as good as it had been that day. Sorry, he said after he swallowed. I mean if I've caused you trouble by doing this. Gorgon shrugged and shoved another slice into his mouth. Sorry for accidentally depriving you of food options, he said around a mouthful. That part of the gift can't handle being away from our home world. At all. They have no knowledge of other planets and are afraid anything related to an animal they don't recognize might have a soul. It is very inconvenient. Ah, uh, no problem. They. Did the gremlin have a brother? Oh, that's right. You think of them as singular. In their proper form they're part instinct, part combined ancestral knowledge from all who have come before you. However, their function is supposed to be enhanced, modernized, and heavily guided by the spirit of your immediate predecessor. It would have helped you a great deal, since I actually understand that drinking a glass of milk won't initiate a sacred and intimate bond between you and the cow. But I didn't want to die and join them, so? Alden shook his head. You made the right call. One hundred percent. Vegetables are great. Especially since passing on the full benefits package involved the successor eating a body in a death cave. Alden would not be doing that. He didn't care how magnificent his gremlin's missing features were. The grem, they seem to think I can eat anyone who entrusts themselves to my skill. That would only make sense if they believed the people in question were willingly giving their lives over to you. Were they knowingly rendering themselves helpless and placing themselves within your power? Alden stared down at the chunky tomato sauce on top of his pizza. I never really thought of it that way. But, yeah, I guess they were. He hadn't considered how it must feel to another person to entrust themselves. It had to be a little scary to let a stranger have total control over what happened to you in that way. Like being anesthetized before surgery. Only Alden wasn't a doctor surrounded by a bunch of other professionals. He was just some alien teenager with a creepy outfit. Wait, if that's how it judges food, how did you eat the fly? Did it give itself to you? Asking the critical questions in our last few seconds together, are we? Gorgon said dryly, if I hold them in my mouth long enough, they eventually fly or crawl far enough down my throat on their own for my digestive juices to dissolve them. Okay. It was bothering me. You could have swatted it instead of having a religious experience with it. His four nostrils flared. I just said, didn't I? The right won't trigger for a fly. Maybe for some earth animals. Not sure. To be honest, I have some concerns about octopuses. But most of your wildlife should be comestible. I'm trying to teach them that. One stolen bite at a time. My restrictions are making it a slow process. 
Alden took another bite of his pizza. I've taught it that word chains aren't evil. Mostly. Well, it works for the minor ones now. Oh dear, Gorgon sounded amused. What I gave you is quite limited. Word chain debt would resemble a trigger for one aspect of the ancient duties, but not that closely. They should be able to tell that chain users aren't. He blinked. The semi-transparent eyelids looked just as strange as they always had. I can't hold the connection. Alden, your friends are fine. Bo and Jeremy? His stomach clenched. It had been so, so long. He tried not to think much about what everyone at home must assume. They're both fine, Gorgon said hastily, his eyes were fixed on the city like he was trying to drink in the sight of it. Remember not to do this to me again. I hope you make it. The inheritance will help you with the chaos at least. Even though I didn't intend for it to be like this, I am glad you. Alden was back in the kitchen. One of his hands was resting on the table, and the painted logogram beneath it was still wet. It took a second for him to collect himself, and when he did, he looked down at Kibby. She was blinking up at him expectantly. Is it working? she asked. It isn't, he said, peeling his palm away from the paint. I'm sorry. We'll just have to go on to plan two. She sighed and stood. You don't look as disappointed as I expected. I feel nice, she replied, like I had a good dream. 52. The Necessary Functions Alden and Kibby had decided that Plan 2 wouldn't commence until Moon Thegun's current night was almost at an end. They had about 11 days. It was too long to wait, and at the same time, they had so much to do to prepare that it felt like no time at all. Take me with you. Kibi demanded as Alden put the last few pieces of equipment into a backpack he'd found in one of the closets. I told you why I'm not going to do that. He hefted the backpack. It weighed about one and a half kibis. Because when you die, you expect me to sit in the vault all by myself and die more slowly. That's not it, Alden said as gently as he could. I'm 99% sure I'm not going to die. But I will be testing my movement trait heavily. That means I could make a mistake and exhaust myself too much to keep my preserved items safe. I want to make sure it's only a bunch of supplies and not my learning partner. I would be fine for a little while even if I wasn't in the lab. I know. I believe you when you tell me that. Because lying to me would be very dangerous in this situation, and you know it. But we're still not going to waste your strength on this. Plan 2 might fail. So stay here in the vault and do that research you wanted to do and save your energy for Plan 3. Kibi was scared to be left alone even for a few hours. Alden understood. He was scared to be leaving her, too. But Plan 3 was the Alden and Kibi travel to safety instead of waiting for it to come to them plan also known as the most extremely terrifying plan, and for it to even have the slimmest chance of succeeding, Alden needed to understand what being outside the lab walls was really like, and he felt like he had to at least make an attempt to rescue their one potential mode of transportation. I need you to entrust me with a backpack, he said. You will not be able to use the mover discs without me. 
your human brain won't perform the necessary functions. Wow, she was really stretching for excuses now. I promise my human brain works well enough to operate a remote control, even if it is a complicated one. Entrust me with the backpack, Kibi. It took a few more minutes of conversation, but she finally did it. Alden was relieved. Okay, he said, securing the backpack around himself. He was already wearing the coat. What did we do with the... Kibi lifted up a pair of very odd-looking glasses. She'd made them herself by prying some of the magic lenses out of the awesome binoculars and gluing them onto lab goggles. You could see in the dark with them. It was a fuzzy black and white vision, but it would do. When the magic on them fails, you will be. You will lose your way back home. They might not fail. And the lab lights are so bright I'll be able to see them from a very long way away. Kibi nodded. She bit her lip. If, if you come back I will give you a present. Really? Alden said, smiling at her. What is it? It's something good that you want. Now I'm very curious. Then you should come back fast, she said seriously. Leaving the lab behind to walk into the pitch blackness of the chaos-steeped night was just as much fun as Alden had imagined it would be. He felt like he was slowly drifting away from the real world into an abyss that wanted to get handsy with his essential nature. He was fresh right now and so good at assertive mode that he didn't even have to think about it. His authority just pressed right back on its own. But the pressure never let up. And it would be worse when he got tired. For a while, he went slowly, poking at the ground with a long metal rod he'd taken from the lab. The grass was all dead and rotted away now, except for the random blades that had become thunder grass or started to grow into looping vines. Pretty much everywhere he looked there was just bare, unstable soil. Ugh, this is stupid, he thought as the metal sank a few inches into a random patch. Can I even run on this? Is there any point in trying the car at all? The only thing that made him think that running might be okay was that he had decided his movement trait was based heavily on an extra symbolic understanding of the universe. He hadn't learned nearly as much as he needed to about magic, but by now, he'd accepted that it could happen in more than one way. There were alterations in perception that nudged your authority slightly. There were skills that bound and shaped it for specific functions, and there was the actual conscious control that Alden had been learning to exert and love in his lessons with Kibi. And that was just the normalish stuff. There were also the rituals to consider. Alden could drink people's blood and connect to their inner selves. Artinans did all kinds of similar seemingly unfathomable things. It was less a single science and more a set of sciences, arts, and historical arcana passed down from long-dead wizards. Azure Rabbit seemed to coat him in a layer of magic that gave him a boost as he kicked off things with close metaphysical relationships to the soil of the planet he was on. It did not care what he thought the ground was at all, its own definition seemed to be right at the heart of the trait's design, and it would not budge. Alden could put up with it. It was maybe going to help him out here. I'd better be right, or I'm going to break an ankle and have to crawl back to the lab. 
Even if the trait had defied his attempts to perceive it into submission, he had gotten stronger control over it, just like he had with let me take your luggage. But unlike the complicated skill, the trait didn't have much in the way of consciously adjustable settings. It was pretty much just on or off, and he still couldn't activate it unless the skill was in use. He flexed the portion of his authority that had been made into the trait and recalled. How confused he'd been a few months ago when he managed it and then had the uncreepy slash more personal space feeling he couldn't define. That's funny. It's so clear now that it's just me asserting my authority more strongly. It's hard to remember what it actually felt like before I understood. All right, he said to the fuzzy black and white world around him. Walking seems to work like I thought it would. Let's try running. When he took the first few swift steps, he knew it was the right decision. He kicked off the ground, and it felt almost just like it had on that first run to the lab. Maybe he was leaving trails of shallow holes in his wake, but who cared what the ground behind you looked like? I've always thought the original skill description was terrible. You are lighter on your feet when your skills are in use hasn't fitted well at all until now. But even if this isn't actual lightness, it's kind of working out that way for me. If not for the heavy backpack full of equipment he hoped would help him write the car that he hoped would work, the run would have even been comfortable. The inconvenience of wearing rigged night vision glasses was balanced against the lack of obstacles. With so much of the grass gone, there was nothing but ground for miles and miles ahead of him. He cast aside the metal rod and sprinted. How do I feel? He asked himself with every step. How long could I do this for? How long will my legs hold out, my authority, me? Then he slowed to a jog and asked himself the same questions. Then a walk again. Then another sprint. How long could I travel like this with Kibi? How far can we go? He had to figure it out here and now, because after plan two, there was only this. And if plan three failed, they wouldn't survive to make up another. Alden didn't think the car was going to work. Months ago, when he'd abandoned it, he'd assumed he was abandoning it for good. It hadn't been badly damaged by the demon bugs at that point, but he was sure they'd done plenty of work on it in the following weeks. And then the same slow degradation that ate away at things at the lab would have ruined it even more. As soon as he found it, the only noteworthy feature in a nothing-filled landscape, he knew he wasn't wrong. The armored vehicle looked like it had taken a beating, and then a few more beatings on top of it. Parts of it were rusting. It was full of holes. The sections of the windows that weren't broken were all bubbled and hazy, like they'd been made of molten sugar. But he couldn't run this far and then not at least try to turn the thing on. So, being careful not to lose preservation on his backpack by letting its weight rest on something, he pulled himself up the side of the toppled vehicle and dropped down through the same door he'd opened last time he'd been here. Easy, he noted. Laboratory parkour had done him some favors. And though he had little idea what the nutritional content of all the alien food he'd been consuming was, he'd at least been focusing on eating things Kibi said were high in protein. He was visibly a little bit fitter when he looked at himself in the mirror and not suffering from any obvious terrible ailments, 
so it was a complete win in his books. Don't know what the other kids are learning in avowed school, but I can feed myself on the triplanets and talk to people. That's got to count for something. Hey, he said quietly to what was left of the bodies in the car as he maneuvered himself into position to start up the vehicle. Your daughter's alive. She's smart and brave. Your big sister's okay. She misses you. Kibi had told him which button and lever combo should power up the car. He pressed and pulled. He was already thinking about the run back to the lab after this avenue was closed off for good, but to his absolute amazement. The car came to life with a deep, airy home sound that reminded him of no other engine he'd ever heard. Whatever wizard or right made you for Joe deserves a freaking raise, Alden said, staring at the runes glowing against the ceiling with astonishment. There were only a few of them left instead of the plethora there had once been. And it was pretty clear that, at least when it was offline, the car hadn't been offering much in the way of chaos protection. He could tell just from the state of the bodies. They didn't really look like bodies anymore. Too degraded. Some of the bones were warped or gone. One of the vining blades of grass had crawled through the hole in the roof and wrapped around them. Don't overthink it. He turned the car back off and climbed out. Just because it had power, that didn't mean it would run. And he still had to get it back on its metal tires, which was an iffy prospect despite what he'd told Kibi. Then, it had to get across the hazardous ground back to the lab. No chance it would all come together. Alden took the mover discs and the remote control out of the backpack while it wasn't preserved and then put it back on. The discs couldn't be added back and re-preserved after he used them for this. But the backpack didn't lose its status as his entrusted object just because he'd removed its contents. Very convenient. Mover discs looked like big silver hockey pucks. One side of them stuck onto the object you wanted to move and you used a remote control the size of a textbook to direct the things to levitate or shift in different directions. Bigger objects took more discs. The lab had hundreds of them, but they must have been unusually delicate because they were almost all dead. Kibi had looked up a manual for them on the television and done math and said Alden would need 22 to move the car. He had 18. It would have to be enough. He removed all the weight from the car he could, including the bodies. He did his best not to touch the vining grass that seemed like it might be in one of the chaos-spreading categories of demon things. He positioned the hockey pucks where he could, in places that looked the least damaged. When he got them all situated to his satisfaction, he started adjusting each individually with the remote control. It was fiddly, especially since the numbers on the display that showed lift angle, direction, and power were in Artanen. But he had practiced on stuff at the lab. He wasn't so hopeless he couldn't figure it out. Your human brain won't perform the necessary functions. He snorted. Last month, he'd said his first English word in ages allowed by accident, and she'd acted shocked. She claimed she'd thought he was gradually sacrificing his native vocabulary to make room for Artanen. They'd had a talk about how lacking two streams of consciousness didn't affect his memory storage. I hope she was just being funny mean. I think she was. 
He finished setting each disc to move in the way he thought would be best, then he activated them. Popping, creaking sounds came from the car. Not working, Alden thought. He wasn't surprised enough to feel even a little bit of disappointment. Well, it was worth a try. He jumped and stumbled back as the car righted itself with a thud that shook the ground. Oh, Alden stared at it. He looked down at the remote and switched the mover discs off. Now what? Kibi had been adamant that her father and sister would be completely gone. She'd said it in a way that made Alden think she didn't want to deal with the bodies. So he wouldn't try to take them along. He cleaned out the back seat thoroughly, trying to make sure there were as few horrible reminders there as possible. Not that the car itself wasn't a huge one. Under a seat, he found the toy Rybeat model Kibi's sister had been holding when she died. He tried not to remember the little girl the way she'd looked that day, but he could. He always could when he thought about it. It was one of those memories that didn't fade. One of the Rybeat's wings was gone now. Its scales weren't looking so great, but it was still in the same poise-to-fly pose Alden had chosen for it six months ago. He held it gently on his palm, examining it through the night vision lenses. I don't know how we got to a place like this, he said, but at least we're still somewhere, right? He stuck it in the pocket of his failing lab coat. Kibi could have it if she changed her mind about mementos, or he'd keep it himself. Rybts, who held up against the chaos for this long, deserved a trip to a better place. He climbed into the driver's seat and buckled the harness. You're not actually going to go, are you? He asked the car. The ground is a mess out there. One more deepish bad patch like this one, and you'll just give up again. Kibi swore there wouldn't be anything like a bottomless pit for them to fall into. Most of the soil would only cave a few inches, which the car could handle. The worst patches should be like the one that had caused this rollover, just a two or three feet deep. But there would still be plenty of those. And one of the mover discs had died just from this flip. It had fallen onto the dirt before the car was even righted. Alden didn't think the others were likely to give him another full lift. Don't you dare make me trust you for no reason, he said to the car. Then he pushed the logogram for home, and they started rolling. 53. The Oread Alden kept waiting for something to go wrong. But for the first time in months, nothing did. The car climbed in and out of larger depressions, and it spun its wheels in patches of loose soil a couple of times. But it made it all the way back to the lab. When it arrived, the ramp to the underground entrance even opened for it. Kibi was waiting for him. It works, she said, sounding stunned as he climbed from the vehicle. I know. I can't believe it either. Also, you're supposed to be in the vault. You were gone a long time. He hadn't been. It had been almost the shortest possible amount of time the trip could have taken. I was worried about you, too. Vault? No. I'll be right there after I shower. Did showering do anything to remove excess chaos residue? Probably not. But it made him feel like he was being proactive. When he rejoined Kibi, he found she had set up their learning cushions side by side in front of one of the screens. I thought you didn't want to practice anymore, Alden said. 
Wasn't it making things worse instead of better for you? I am not practicing. I'm teaching. This is your present for returning safely. Alden held back a sigh. He wanted sleep far more than he wanted a class right now, but he wasn't about to admit it. He was already barefoot like a proper student, so he walked over to join her. Just before he was about to kneel down, he spotted something unfamiliar on his mat. It was a loop of iridescent white string, meticulously coiled into the logogram for a friend. Like you used to do with my marlek berries, Kibby said, pointing at it. I remember. Alden stared at the string. He knew immediately that it was a magic item because his brain was a little hung up on it. Sympathy for magic being weird again. He'd mostly gotten used to the effect that particular stat increase had on him, and lately it was rare for something to draw his attention to it so noticeably that it became a distraction. Kibi, is this? It's for you. It's an Oread. Kibi used the word Alden had learned just a couple of days before when he asked about the spell instructor Gwen Lore had erased from the screen before starting her class. Distinguished Master Roden gave it to me with the cushions. It was inside mine so it would be safe until I was ready to bond with it. But I haven't passed the right test for Instructor Gwenlor to send my beginner Oread lessons, yet. I have to learn all the hand-casting spells she teaches first. Kibi examined his fingers. You should take off the ring before you hold it. Crouching, Alden slipped the ring off and set it aside on the floor. He lifted the string carefully and knelt on the cushion. The oread was fascinating. It flowed through his fingers so smoothly it was almost like it was made of liquid. Kibi, you don't have to give me this, he said. It's so kind of you, but I know the things Joe, distinguished Master Roden, gave you are important to you. Someone will give me another one, she replied, eyes fixed on the string. Maybe even distinguished Master Roden will do it. When I finally get to call instructor Gwenlore and tell her I finished her lessons. Or someone else will when I go to school. But maybe nobody will ever give you one. Maybe they don't have them on earth. I've never seen one there before, Alden said. Since I'm your instructor, I'll give you one. She spoke firmly, and you will use it your whole entire life and be the best avowed. He smiled at her. You said it's a tool that bonds to authority? After you start using it, it does. Then it's only yours. You have to take good care of it and keep it with you all the time, and it will get stronger so that you can cast better spells with it. So Jelnor wasn't just wearing one in her hair as a fashion statement that day by the pond. You're supposed to keep them close. We only have one Oread spell, so you will have to try very hard and learn it, Kibi said in a business-like tone. I will pause the video just before instructor Gwenlor clears the spell from the screen, and you will study the casting shapes while I read all the logograms to you. Do we even know what that spell does? Or if all of it is listed on the board? It's all there. It hits things. It hits them? She mimed punching something with a small fist. It does that, but farther away, and harder, and in a square shape. It's the graduation spell at instructor Gwenlor's school. 
for the year sixes. It says congratulations on the board beside it and lists all the students' names and their second schools. The tiny children Alden and Kibby had been learning with up until now were the year ones, and going by the length of Mother Planet years and the way Arden and kids aged, that was probably the human equivalent of a 10 or 11 year old, so it was like an elementary school graduation spell. You only have a few days to learn, Kibby said. You have to listen and remember everything I say. I will, Alden agreed. Thank you so much for the present. It's perfect. He couldn't help feeling a little excited and nervous. What if something like the Oread wouldn't work for an avowed and the gift was wasted on him? She turned on the screen and their lesson began. The Oread lesson became Alden's main free time distraction now that they were committed to only leaving the vault for plan-related prep work and other essentials. Kibi read the instructions to him over and over until he could nearly recite them from memory, and then he spent ages sitting on his cushion working out how to use the loop of string. It was a mix of making the necessary shape sets with the Oread and manipulating his authority to touch the gaps created by each shape. Like a complicated version of the partner greeting exercise the students learned to start with. Alden couldn't usually feel solid objects with his authority when he wasn't actively using his skill on them. It had never even occurred to him to try, but the Oread invited him to do it. Kibi had called it sticky, and that was a fine word for it. He wanted to touch it, and as he worked with it more and more over the passing days, it started to feel like an actual extension of himself. And on the third day of practice, there was another development. It's not white anymore, Alden said, surprised. He held up the final shape in the set that formed the spell, a lacework of string with a square at the center, to show it to Kibi. She was bundled in the coat again, reading lab files on the tablet. She'd been at it for ages. She was taking her role in plan too seriously. Which was good, since Alden didn't have a prayer of reading the kind of highly technical writing she was going through. He was lucky to pick out the occasional common noun or adjective. She glanced up. That's good, she said. The Oread had turned a very pale shade of blue. It means you've almost finished bonding with it. It changes colors when you're done. It turns your favorite color. Alden stared at the silky string. I guess I do like blue. You should be careful where you aim when you do the final shape from now on, she warned him. You might be able to cast with it now that you're bonding. You could hit stuff. Alden grinned. I want to hit stuff. She sighed. When I learn to hit stuff, I'm going to go squash the evil vine that's escaped from the greenhouse. It's not supposed to be a fighting spell. It's just to learn aiming and knock things over. I bet it can fight a plant. She considered it. Probably, she agreed. And I bet I get it right next time, he said, unclenching his authority and letting the string fall from his fingers. He was wrong. It took him two more days of obsessive attention to fully bond with the Oread. But when it was over, it was less like he'd gotten the hang of using a new toy and more like he'd gained a third hand that he was still a little clumsy with.
The Oread had turned a deep shade of indigo blue, and it retained a faintly iridescent quality. As he worked with it, it had started to feel more liquid than ever. But it had also begun to develop a habit of sticking and catching sometimes when he needed it to do so. Alden was stupidly in love with his loop of string. Maybe he was supposed to be. The idea of handing it over to someone else to use or even hold actually gave him a physical sense of discomfort. Last night, he'd had a dream that something had broken his oread, and he'd woken up in a cold sweat to pester Kibby with fifty different questions about how to take proper care of it. She was not nearly as concerned about what a terrible thing it would be if the oread broke as she should have been. Of course getting wet won't hurt it. What about knives? Or fire? I guess a hot enough fire. Or a powerful enough knife. Really, he said, clutching the string to his chest. How do I make it stronger? She looked at him oddly. It's as strong as your authority is. It's protected by you. That's how it works. He finally fell back onto his pillow with a relieved sigh. I guess it's true, Kibby said in a fascinated tone. I always heard wizards were like this about their oreads, but since I don't have one yet. Does every wizard have one? I think I've seen images of them with strings a few times and never thought about it. But in person, I've only seen the girl at Leafsong with one. A lot of wizards have them. Not all. People who don't love to hand cast usually have theirs severed after they finish training with it in school so that it's not as much trouble for them. Alden rolled over to gape at her in horror. You probably saw people with them and didn't realize, she added. Most wizards wear them under their clothes and some use them as or necklaces. Bracelets maybe, or hair ties like Jelnor. Wizards did tend to be thoroughly kitted out with the elaborate clothes, magic jewelry, tats, and other tools of the trade. It would be easy to overlook a piece of string or just dismiss it as another weird artinan thing. It's rude to touch someone else's without permission, Kibby informed him. Of course it is, Alden said. What kind of animal would do such a thing? Kibby shook her head at him in exasperation and went back to her tablet. You'll see, he said, petting his oread. When you get yours, you'll see. I am happy you like your present. Go to sleep. I'm studying physics and chemistry and magic generators. Night turned into a gray dawn. It wasn't light enough to be called day, but it was light enough for them to see. And that meant it was time. For everything else. Human Day 186 was the time they'd both agreed on. It was dark still, but not so dark that they couldn't see. Their sleep cycles were almost properly synced for the plan thanks to the simple expedient of Alden spending several hours, carrying Kibby around strapped to his back on day 185. He'd been doing it as often as she'd let him lately anyway. It wore him out faster, pushing him into the askew state almost as soon as he picked her up but he wished she would have let him do it a few more times. It wasn't like she recovered when she was being held, but it stretched their window. Over the past few days, everything had been completed. The car was packed with the items they had deemed worth the wait. Ever since he'd returned with it, 
It had been parked inside a plain-looking metal garage that was theoretically capable of giving it some kind of magical boost. And Alden had finally memorized the function of every logogram on the vehicle's control panel. For her part, Kibby had prepped the main lab by arranging all sorts of volatile equipment, chemicals, and supplies in the way she deemed best after her days of research. Plan 2, Alden said that morning as they shared a breakfast of freeze-dried food in the vault. Plan 2, Kibby agreed. She was looking strained already, Alden noted. Usually a night's sleep under the coat helped at least a little. We blow the whole place up, he said. Yipal Corporation, she replied, her face set. They're not getting a piece. They can shove the ashes up there, dash dot. Alden blinked. Wow. She must have learned her serious swearing from Joe. The professor's magic bomb had come with instructions for then AR. It was supposed to be used in conjunction with a second one. According to Kibby, it was not designed to make a gigantic boom that would destroy everything, but to neatly demolish just a couple of key areas in a way that would look like it could have been an accident. She didn't approve. Alden had asked her if she could figure out how to make a bigger magical explosion. Maybe some smoke and fire. Anything that might draw the attention of the people who had come to the goon to clear the chaos. She didn't think that was enough either. And she was the one who could read the instructions. She was the one who'd been hurt the most. So, full-scale devastation it was. They watched a soap opera, Kleepak and the Purple Daisies again. Then they both ate and drank as much as they could stand, and they headed out. Before they exited the main lab, Alden examined Kibi's handiwork. He couldn't understand most of it, but in addition to all the stuff she'd arranged herself, she'd had him dolly in some heavy plastic drums and random pieces of still-functional enchanted equipment for her. The bomb, still in its protective case, looked like a glass football full of swirling silver mist with three deep depressions in the top. Kibi had set it right at the edge of one of the floor tiles she had told Alden he must never, ever touch. She bent over it. You're sure, he asked. I will not die in the vault like a grasshopper. She stuck her three middle fingers into the depressions and held them there for a while. Then, she removed them. We have a human hour and fourteen hour fractions now. Seventy-four minutes. To calm his nerves, he ran his fingers over the Oread. He was wearing it around his neck, triple-looped and easy to hide under the collar of one of his turtlenecks or the Hawaiian shirt he was wearing over them. They headed across the chilly compound as they had so many times before. Kibi hopped over the evil vine without looking at it, but Alden had to pause and admire his handiwork. His new spell had squashed it nicely, and he'd been able to practice his aim. It hit things with a perfectly square-shaped hammer of force, approximately 16 inches across on the diagonal. They weren't crushing blows, but they were certainly harder than Alden could physically punch or kick. And if they didn't hit anything, they traveled pretty far before they faded. He'd been able to throw up piles of gravel from about 30 yards away. They entered the garage and climbed into the car. Alden took the driver's seat and pressed the buttons that would take them to the coordinates marked on the homemade map they'd glued. 
to the car's ceiling. If nobody came to check on the explosion, the map was Plan 3. Please, somebody come, he thought. Plan 3 is the worst. The car started and began to roll. To cover his sigh of relief, he smiled at Kibi. We need driving music. She winced. Do not sing, Alden. You are not good at it. 54. Farther. I think you should press the button that makes it go faster, Kibi said suddenly from her place in the passenger seat. She was bundled up in the coat with an additional pair of blankets wrapped around her to ward off the cold, and she had a tablet in her lap. While the lab still existed, she was using it to study the chaos map one last time. Whoever was in charge of cleanup was making slow and steady progress toward them, taking one giant semicircular bite out of the corruption every day like they were eating their way to the center of a pizza. It really wasn't what he would have expected if he'd bothered to expect anything over the course of the past few months. Something that slowly drained the chaos away from the entire map would have felt more right. So that everything turned from red to the better colors, purple and pink, and then gradually disappeared. But there was no gradual fading involved in whatever the wizards were doing. The corruption was just totally gone from the clean area. Faster, he asked. I thought we agreed we liked this speed. They had debated their travel pace for a long time. Fast had the advantage of getting them to safety quicker, and time was very much of the essence. Slower had the advantage of reducing the risk of a devastating rollover like the one that had occurred before. Even at lower speeds, the car was still much faster than running and it had proven it could actually handle the shitty terrain by grinding slowly through loose soil and climbing out of most ditches. Maybe I should not have asked you to add the Lightran generators to the main lab yesterday. I felt very angry, though, Kibby said. Alden turned around in his seat to stare out of the warped and hazy back windshield. They'd been driving for half an hour. The lab was far behind them already, and he couldn't really mark its position anymore. Maybe that pale patch on the gray horizon was from the lights? We're pretty far away, he said. Didn't we agree we should be at least in the general area to make it easier for people coming to rescue us to find? We should be farther. Okay. No arguing with the bomb maker about the bomb she'd made. Alden pressed the button that increased their speed, and the quiet thrumming sound of the car rose. It was difficult to make sense of how fast they were going when their only landmarks were potholes, but the whistle of the wind through the holes in the windows and roof of the vehicle grew louder. Hey, you've never been to another planet, right? Alden asked. Kibby shook her head. I think you're going to like the rest of the universe. If you're on Artona 3, near the university with distinguished Master Roden and the others, there are all kinds of plants and animals, way, way more than here, and you can see the stars at night. And if you end up going to Instructor Gwenlor's school on the Mother, I bet it's just as nice. What about Earth? If you find a way to visit me on Earth, I'll take you to the ocean. Moon the Goon didn't have any very large bodies of water. I'll let you hold my cat, Victor. The mean one? Yes. I will find a way. 
I will become an ambassador if I have to. You'd be the best ambassador. That would take a long time, though. I will summon you before then, as soon as I earn my rights, and we will tattoo our faces. That'll be the best day ever. Alden really meant it, too. With a few minutes to go, they finally stopped the car. They both climbed out, and Kibby stood staring behind them with narrowed eyes, as if she thought it might help her see the laboratory miles away. Alden hauled a couple of small red spotlights out of the back seats and positioned them at the front and back. They were assuming that if wizards in spaceships wanted to fly over here and take a closer look at the situation they would be able to locate the vehicle, easily enough even though they were now quite far from the facility. They were wizards, in spaceships. It kind of implied competence on multiple levels. But he figured the lights couldn't hurt. The tablet Kibi had brought was lying on the seat in the car. Out of the corner of his eye, Alden suddenly saw the image of the chaos map vanish from it. He spun to look back toward the lab. That was just the bomb starting to. The main explosion hasn't happened yet. They stood in silence for another few seconds, then Kibi said, Now, it's gone. An instant later, a green-white flash lit the sky. The perpetual cloud cover was thrown into sharp relief. The whole landscape brightened. Kibi threw back the hood of the lab coat to take it all in. The light vanished, and a few seconds later, a single clear sharp bang, like the discharge of an enormous gun, split the air. It was followed by a deep, growling roar that Alden could actually feel. And then there was silence. Kibi turned to beam at him. Ah, that was great, he said, heart thundering in his chest. It was the most impressive explosion I've ever seen. He assumed the crater the lab had been built in was now large enough to warrant its own zip code. He wondered what level of crime blowing an actual chunk out of an Artanan moon was. You're sure we can convince people this was an accident? There won't be anything left for them to prove otherwise, Kibi said unconcernedly. Maybe a demon strike damaged and altered the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure I saw a demon sneaking around near the lab last night. Me too. One of the big ones. It's why we left in the car. We had to run. Demons are dangerous. They are. The next part of Plan 2 involved waiting. Alden didn't like it because he wasn't sure it was the right thing. Maybe they should have decided to keep driving and trust that space wizards who were looking would find them no matter how far they got from the lab. Or maybe they should have parked a little closer to start with. Or maybe... Forget it, he chided himself. Walking in a slow circle around the car in his coat while he wore a preserved kibi strapped to him like a backpack. This is what you decided on. It was a horrible day. The chaos ate away at him. He asserted his authority and pressed it back. Over and over again. He adjusted the spotlights a thousand times. As if wiggling them into different positions was going to make help drop down from the clouds on top of him. He ate and drank as much as he wanted from their supplies and went over the plan until he was almost crazy from it. Help would come. If it didn't come, they would race toward it, as fast and hard as they could. The car moved faster than the approaching aid. 
When he and Kibby did the math together it looked like there was a chance. If the car lasted only a single day, traveling at an average speed of around 30 miles per hour in human terms, they would probably die. If the car lasted two days, maybe. A tiny maybe. A gossamer thin sliver of a maybe. Based on the speed of the approaching help, the speed of the car, the speed at which Alden himself could jog, his own total guess about how long it would be before he tipped over the same threshold Kibby had and could no longer recover effectively from the assault. And then there was Kibby. She had to last, too. She had to last at least two days without the protection of the lab, too, with nothing but whatever help the coat could give her. Or they wouldn't be able to take the car. Alden wouldn't be able to protect her with his skill if he wasn't carrying her. He adjusted the lights again. It had been hours. There were no ships in the sky. No vehicles on the dark horizon. What kind of people don't care enough to come see what that giant-ass boom was, he muttered. There's no way they didn't notice it. Some sensor on some piece of equipment somewhere had to have notified somebody. That green flash had to be visible from space. Even if they thought it was just a crazy accident at a crazy scientist's long-abandoned lab, weren't they even a little curious? It was awesome, Kibby, he said to his frozen companion. They should want to come check it out. Alden's faithful clock, brought with him from the vault, finally died to the chaos after about nine hours. From here on out, he'd just be guessing at the days unless he asked Kibby. She had a better natural time sense. He trudged the circular path around the car, staring down at his shoes. They were the same ones he'd been wearing when he was summoned away from the consulate. Just a regular pair of sneakers he'd bought on sale more than a year ago. They were the only shoes at the lab that fit his feet, so he just kept wearing them whenever he couldn't go barefoot. They were held together by so much industrial strength glue, magic tape, and scraps at this point that they looked almost like he'd made them from scratch. He stumbled suddenly and almost fell. Ah, it's hard out here. I feel less and less like me. He ran his fingers over his oread. He tried to focus on the strength of the machine that was his activated skill and ignore the shredding, creeping pain of the askunus digging into his authority. I think the free authority is almost the same size as the skill now. The magnitude of his power was something Alden was only just learning how to sense. He wondered if he'd be able to feel it still when he was back home. Or if, without the pressure of the chaos, it would all just leave him. He didn't think it would. It felt so natural now. Whether he was relishing in the feeling of casting spells with it or feeling the pressures against it as it helped him endure this environment, he couldn't imagine life without it. Finally, he'd had enough. His energy was spent. And he'd admitted to himself that no help was coming for them here. He stopped and set Kibby down. She was just as awake and alert as she had been when he started carrying her. Her face was still flush with the excitement of her successful act of vengeance. She examined him as he pulled off the coat and gave it to her. Nobody came? Plan three, said Alden tiredly. Remember your promise. I remember. We are partners. I will tell you when I can't do it anymore.
They got back in the car. Kibby took the driver's seat. Alden strapped himself in beside her. Doors or no doors, she asked, pulling back the sleeves of the coat so that her hands were free. You have experienced several hours in the corruption now, so you choose. I don't think the car's offering any protection at all anymore, he said, figuring out once and for all whether the armored vehicle was still doing anything to help shield them from the chaos had been part of his assignment today, but he felt exactly the same now as he had been outside. It's just good for moving us, so let's make it move better. Kibi nodded and started going through a long sequence of button presses and lever pulls she'd found last week, when she managed to get one of the lab tablets to talk to the car. When she was finished, there was the squeal of metal on metal and four loud clangs. The car's heavy armored doors fell to the ground with thuds. Alden stared out across the empty landscape. Then, he took his broken clock and chucked it into the dirt. Do you have your sleeping supplies? Kibby asked. Yes. The plan doesn't work if you don't trust me. You have to rest. I know. Look. Alden showed her a set of earplugs he'd been keeping in his pocket, and he pulled a strip of cloth out from under the seat. He wrapped it around his eyes. I'm going straight to sleep. Good, said Kibby. He heard her pressing more buttons. It's my turn to carry you, now. The car started up. Alden resisted the urge to thank it aloud, or to peek out from behind his blindfold. His job was to sleep now and recover, and he was exhausted. Go, Kibby whispered. Metal tires crunched against the soil. Wind filled the stripped car. Alden said peace of mind and shoved his earplugs in. The gremlin was thoroughly trained on it now. It had finally learned to trust that Alden would pay his debts and even himself out without being yelled at. In just a few minutes, despite the bumpy ride, he was asleep. Hours later, Alden woke up feeling pretty refreshed physically. He wasn't great existentially, but it wasn't as bad as it had been. Less askew than when he first set Kibby down after their carrying session. I'm still recovering enough to pull ahead of it a little, I guess. A thousand pet crickets for Gorgon, and one noncommittal nod of acknowledgement for the system. He thought the Oread was helping somehow, too. He hadn't really expected any significant recovery at all while he was out here away from the vault. In a way, the Oread's very existence seemed to be passively bolstering his authority. Did you just wake up and pet your Oread before you even said hello to me? Alden lifted his eye mask and turned to face his chauffeur. She had her knees pulled up against her chest, and not so much as a finger was sticking out from the coat and blankets while she watched for hazards on the route ahead of them. The red leather was covered in crumbs, though, so she'd obviously been snacking. How are we doing? You slept for ten or eleven of your hours. The car successfully climbed in and out of three large ditches. I chose to maneuver around two more. No ships flew over. I decreased our speed because of the ditches, and then I changed my mind and increased it. You should eat and drink and pee. That's all good, except for the ships. And I can remember to do those last three things on my own. I promise. 
he unhooked his safety harness and reached behind him to dig into his box of chosen road food. After biting into a leathery nutrition block that tasted vaguely like cantaloupe, he examined Kibi more closely. It was impossible to tell how she was doing. He couldn't even see her face without leaning over to peer into the hood. Are you all right? he asked. Seriously? She didn't answer for a minute and his stomach clenched. Finally, she said, I feel bad, but not so bad that we should stop the car. I feel better than I expected, so if you want to, we can. Not yet. Regular sleep, he asked. I can watch the ground. I'm not sleepy yet, but you watch for a while. Tell me if I need to do anything. Alden watched. This was the reason they hadn't left in the full dark. You had to be able to see the ground well enough to avoid the worst obstacles. But even now, in the dim light, there wasn't much to it. He just stared straight ahead, reminded himself periodically not to lose focus, and made sure the car didn't encounter something it couldn't handle. Kibi used the break he was giving her to crack open her last tin of canned meat and eat it with a spoon. He couldn't help but notice that she wasn't making the happy smacking sounds she usually did when she was eating the stuff. Alden had been saving up one particular conversation topic for exactly this sort of situation. The primary, he said. Kibi's spoon stopped clinking against the can and he smiled. What about the primary, she asked suspiciously. I know I'm always teasing you about the things he said to me when I met him at that party, said Alden. The truth is he didn't say much. He certainly didn't say I was amazing or any of the other stuff I told you. He mostly asked me questions about myself. What questions? He kept his eyes on the landscape while he told her the whole story, not embellishing anything or leaving out a single detail. She was fascinated, delighted, baffled, and scandalized all at once. She was completely uninterested in his traumatic confessions about his childhood pastime of staring at the dead body of someone he hated, and she was entirely too interested in examining his left hand. It's been months. I don't think you're going to find the primaries, huh? I still don't know how to say DNA. Magic under my fingernails after this long. She finally let his hand go. I can't believe he really liked you. Oh, Alden held the hand to his chest. Also, I don't think he liked me. It felt like, ah, he was okay, actually. Better than a lot of people at that party. And I don't think he was trying to scare me even though he did. But it still felt like a slightly dangerous encounter. He said he wouldn't hurt you. That's a weird thing to say to someone. Also, he told me I should try to grow up well. You should. Well, yeah, that's true, but it sounded kind of. He liked you. You're almost friends, she said in a tone that would brook no argument. And we are friends. So, it's like the primary and I are almost friends, too. Logical. She nodded. A lot of people on Moon the Gund wanted the mother planet to send a knight here. Not the primary, of course, but one of them, to guard against the corruption. Did you want one to come? Is that why you're so interested in them? Kibi shook her head. 
No, I didn't really want one here. Back then, we would have had to leave and go do research somewhere else, maybe somewhere more dangerous. If the mother completely fixed the chaos problem here, it was the people who live in the cities on the other half of the moon that wanted it gone. I would think everyone would want that. The Grand Senate said the Knights couldn't spare anyone for permanent assignment in a place like the Gund. A few years ago, they offered people free, instead. I don't know that word. Moving to a new home. Ah, relocation. I just listened to all the news about the primary and some of the other nights because it was exciting, said Kibi. Distinguished Master Roden got special reports on them that were supposed to be only for the most important wizards. But he didn't mind if we all watched them, too. What kinds of things do the knights do? All different, but all good things. They fight chaos and demons a lot, sometimes in places really far away. She took another bite of her meat. I saw the primary slice a demon in half. Almost. Almost? Alden asked, taking a sip from a bottle of water and sparing a glance away from the windshield to examine her expression. She looked very thoughtful. I saw the demon in one piece, and then it was in two, she clarified. I couldn't actually see the primary. He was too small. Could the guy shrink himself? It seemed like a strange choice for a fight, even if you were the Triplinet's number one super wizard. It was an image from one of our space telescopes, Kibi said. I asked Master Roden about it, and he said the demon was one-eleventh the size of Moon the Gund. Alden spat water all over the car's control panel. What? he sputtered, choking and patting at his Hawaiian shirt. Like there was someone around to care if he was a little damp. No. No? No. Demons can't be that big. Kibi looked flummoxed. But I saw it. Ah, uh, I mean, I don't want demons to be that big. That's really bad. I don't like it at all. He also did not like it that he had engaged in conversation with a man who could chop something measured in fractions of moons in half. People like that shouldn't hide behind potted plants with their sister at stupid college parties. They should stay in high-budget fantasy movies, where they belonged. I don't like it either, except for watching the primary fix it. That was fun. She tossed her empty can out of the car. You can't tell anyone. Master Roden isn't supposed to share that kind of thing with his assistants. Kibi. I could stand on top of a building and shout that to an entire city on Earth, and I promise nobody would believe me. Kibi slept, Alden drove. Kibi drove, Alden slept. They ate and drank as much as they wanted. This was not the kind of trip where you rationed your supplies. They felt worse and worse. They started talking about imaginary futures for themselves. They designed their matching tattoos. More than 40 hours in by her own estimation, Kibi said, I didn't think we'd make it this far. The car wasn't even supposed to drive for this long when everything was normal. She had never once, in all their planning, told him that. I guess having the doors off helps a lot, he said. Maybe I'll forgive it, said Kibi, if it goes a little farther. It was full daylight now. They'd come a long way. 
Alden forced himself to go to sleep again. He chained for peace of mind. It was his first time ever stacking them without paying back the debt. The gremlin was starting to grumble. Give me time, he begged it. Please, I've never once failed to pay it off. I've never once cheated, and you know that. Just give me a little more time. Kibby woke him up. He wasn't sure how many hours it had been. The car was stopped. There were huge dark circles under her eyes. Her whole body was shaking, and she was breathing too hard. I got it wrong a little, she said faintly. I'm sorry. It's all right. He didn't even know how she had messed up, but whatever it was, it was okay. This was the kind of situation where no mistake she made could be unacceptable. If she turned into a demon the size of a planet and destroyed the universe, Alden would look everyone in the eye when he got to the afterlife and tell them Kibi had done better than any of them could have in the same situation. She showed him a patch of skin on the back of one small hand. It was cracked and bloody and blackening. I got it wrong, she said again. I couldn't push it away anymore. So that's how it's going to get us? He had wondered what would happen when they were finally spent. If it would be similar to the swift deaths of the scientists. If they would just rot away, if they would mutate to death like some of the plants. Guess it doesn't matter. Not a problem, said Alden, unlatching the safety harness. This just means it's my turn. He drank two bottles of water. He ate sickeningly sweet jam out of a pouch. He strapped on the pitifully small bag of supplies he'd allotted himself. Checked the lightweight sling they'd designed for the sprinklers. Finally, he took the lab coat from Kibby, put it on, and adjusted the straps around himself that would hold her in place if he stumbled. He crouched down. She stared at him for a few seconds. You remember how my skill works, right, he said with a grin. You're the boss. You've got to do the entrusting. She nodded and positioned herself on his back. He heard the clasps click shut around her. She threw her arms around him. Alden activated the skill when he felt like she was in the position that would be the most balanced and least difficult for him. Her breath, ragged and frightened in his ears, stopped. He started to run. 55. Man on the Moon Alden had heard that some humans could run hundreds of miles without sleep. Not even avowed. Just ordinary humans. Not that ordinary, he thought as he jogged. Ultramarathoners. Trained, awesome people. He was not trained. Or awesome. And he was carrying another person on his back. But if being an avowed was ever going to count for something, he wanted it to count for this. He had Azure Rabbit. He had a whole lot of ground for it to work with. It wasn't that he thought he could travel across country without rest for days, but that he needed to. Depending on when Kibby had stopped the car, depending on how fast his average speed was, the trip could be two days. Or four. Or more. Maybe there were 300 miles left to go. Maybe there were twice that many. Alden hadn't asked Kibby for the number before he started carrying her because it didn't matter. They were in it now. He would run, walk, or crawl them out of it. Or they would both die. In a way, the clarity of his options was a gift. 
There was no longer any point in second-guessing the decisions that had led them here. Alden was sure he'd made stupid mistakes, probably a lot of them. He was ignorant and incompetent in too many ways, but he'd done his best, and now all the choices had been exhausted. He didn't even have a compass. He just traveled in what he hoped was a straight line away from the car, even though he knew it probably wasn't. He tried to aim for large holes or ditches he could make out in the distance directly in front of him. It was the best he could do for landmarks. At least his target, the non-chaos zone, was massive. As long as he didn't get delirious and start walking in completely the wrong direction, he wasn't likely to miss. He ran sometimes. He walked others. He wished he had music to drown out the drum of his own heart in his ears. When he got thirsty, he planted a sprinkler deep in the ground and sealed a plastic bag over its head to catch some of the water. Thanks, then AR, he whispered as he paced around the device. He couldn't stop moving. Maybe Kibby could still withstand the corrupted environment for a long while. Or maybe it was only minutes. He didn't think she knew any better than he did. It took a while for the sprinkler to produce a decent amount for a drink. But it was better than trying to carry jugs of water on top of everything else. He ate some dried fruit while he waited. When he'd drunk his fill, he picked up his sprinkler and kept going. Hours later, more than half a day if Alden's time sense wasn't totally wrong. He realized something bizarre was going on with the ground. It might have been going on for a long time. The convenient way his trait interacted with the soil while he was in motion meant he felt like he was kicking off of something solid, even when it was just a thin crust of dirt or it was loose and sandy. So he didn't notice what was happening beneath his feet by feeling it. Instead, he saw the whole landscape do something. The change was so subtle it would have been hard to notice except for the fact that the view on Moon the Gund was monotonous. Before it was grass. Now it was ditches and potholes. And here? Did the dirt just move? All of it? Because there was no wind, Alden was not accustomed to seeing motion of any kind around him. He slowed down to his slowest walk. Several minutes later, it happened again. Everywhere he looked, in the same instant, the loosest patches of soil shifted. Then, they settled back to stillness. I think it's been less than a day. I'm really tired, but I can't be hallucinating yet. It happened a few more times, and Alden finally stopped walking altogether and just took single steps from side to side to keep the skill active on Kibi. There was a shallow depression in the ground in front of him, a patch with sandy crumbling edges. He stared at it intently, and a couple of minutes later, the grains of dark sand all shivered in place. A small chunk of the edge collapsed into the depression with the quiet hiss of falling grains. Then, everything was still again. Okay? Alden said to himself. What was that? He kept walking and watching, trying to come up with theories. The only one that made sense was that the whole ground was moving. Like an earthquake. If an earthquake happened for the briefest of moments at perfectly regular intervals, assuming it wasn't a giant subterranean demon creature's heartbeat, thanks for coming up with that thought, brain, his next. 
More hopeful guess was that it might have something to do with the wizards cleaning up the chaos. It's like something is banging on Moon the Gund like a drum. On the one hand, that would be good news. Being close enough to feel the effects meant he hadn't turned in a giant semicircle and started heading back to the lab. On the other, what if they weren't doing some high-powered cleansing spell to get rid of the chaos like he and Kibi had both assumed? What if it was more like they were dropping magical nukes on it from space? He was hoping to walk into a clean zone surrounded by benevolent chanting wizards. Not step out of the chaos into a giant bombing range. Alden thought that most of the things that would make a planet-sized moon tremble would make a human-sized person dead. But that changes nothing, he decided. Because I can't turn back. One foot in front of the other. For as long as he could naturally. And after that, he still had a couple of tricks in his pocket. When I get home, I'm going to be lazy. Alden made this decision sometime. How long had it been? A full 24 hours yet? Longer? Was that only wishful thinking? One of the sprinklers had given up. He'd gotten water out of it five times. Elepta Farm had earned his business if they ever actually grew something that wasn't mildly toxic for humans. I'm going to be one of those lazy, rich rabbits that everyone envies and hates. No, even worse than those rabbits. I'm going to be the laziest one that ever existed. He would never walk another step. He would buy a car. And a driver. He would hire servants to carry him on a palanquin. He'd pay some adjuster with the right spell to follow him around and levitate him up staircases. Everything hurt. Legs. Back. Feet. Shoulders. Authority. He kept adjusting the straps that held Kibi in place, trying to relieve pressure. They'd started to rub him raw even through the coat and the layers of clothes. Focusing on his future life as the human embodiment of sloth helped for a while. When that stopped working, he tried to hold a mental conversation with the gremlin. You were loud about the big chain debt for a while, and then you got quiet, he said. I don't mind if you want to be loud again. It stayed silent. That's really scary of you. Hey, Gorgon's confused ancestors. Talk to me. Keep me company at least. He waited for a reply that never came. Fine. Be that way. When I get home, I'm going to hire an S-ranked sway to force us to eat an entire rack of barbecued ribs. He snorted at the image of himself trying to explain to some disturbed sway why it would be a necessary and righteous use of their powers. From far away, there was a single wump of sound. Staring down at the taped-up toes of his sneakers, Alden saw the ground shake. They started back. The distant hammering of something against the moon had gone on for a long time. Then it had stopped for a long time. And now here it was again. With sound effects. We're still moving the right way. He coaxed a few more steps out of himself with that knowledge. But it was getting way too hard. He thought his left foot might be bleeding inside his shoe. I guess I should do something about that. It's still a long way. No matter what, it's still a really long way. The supply pack around his waist contained bandages, numbing spray, and a change of socks. He was just scared to stop and drop the preservation on Kibi for the minute or two it would take him to use it. 
He was afraid she'd be hurt. He was afraid he wouldn't be able to pick her back up, physically or magically. Wumph. It wasn't like the situation was going to get better as time passed, though. He walked a bit farther, trying to put himself in the right headspace to do and say the right things. What were the right things again? Wumph. They came around ten minutes apart maybe. That was cool. He could use the sound of the Artanans bombing the hell out of his destination to keep time. Wumph. Alden took a knee in the soft dirt. It hurt. His knees were starting to hurt. They'd never done that before. Was it just the amount of walking and running, or was the trait taking a toll on his joints? Alden? Don't unstrap yourself, he said. He was surprised at how dry and raspy his voice sounded. He'd been drinking plenty. I'm just changing my socks really quick, and then we're moving again. Can you do just a couple of minutes? I'm fine. No lies right now. We're making good time. Ha! Hypocrite. You don't even know if you're lying yourself or not. I'm fine, Kibby whispered. Alden's feet looked way worse than they'd felt. One of his heels was actually glued to his socks with blood and whatever the clear stuff that came out of blisters was. He lifted the foot, hunched over so that he could reach his hands around it. Made an attempt at the kindergarten hand sanitizing spell. If you held something in a specific position between your hands it was supposed to work on it instead of them. So maybe it would help. His authority shuddered. Straining it in a new direction made him feel how far from himself, Artanen version of the word, he was. He sprayed the numbing spray, bandaged the foot, pulled on the clean sock, stuffed it in the shoe. How long has it been? Kibi asked, wriggling a little against his back. She knew he didn't really know. Almost three days, he lied again. You know that means we must be getting close. Wumph. What's that? Alden finished doing the best he could and stood back up. That's where we're headed. His whole body screamed at him when he tried to take a step forward. He almost fell face first in the dirt. He tried again with almost the same result. He wanted to lay down. He wanted to sleep right here in the chaos. It couldn't be that bad, could it? Oh, he thought. So this is how far I go without cheating. Hey, gremlin. I know you're not gone even if you pretend to be. Wanna see something cool? Alden licked his lips and cleared his throat. Then, he said the sacrifice half for the peace of mind chain. He shuddered as it fell on him. His anxiety spiked. His sluggish, sleepy thoughts turned a little wilder. I can't stop moving. I can't. I'll die. He took a step and then another. It wasn't enough to satisfy his fresh sense of dread. He needed to jog. So he did. The opposite of peace of mind was fear. Occasionally, fear was a good thing. Blowback for peace of mind lasted around three hours. Alden made the sacrifice three times, paying back the debt for every chain he'd used to sleep in the car. Then, because he hadn't physically fallen down yet and his body was still functioning, if poorly and painfully, he used it a fourth. He was going to enjoy having the positive half in the bank at some point. By the time the fourth started to run out, he was staggering more than he was walking. Everything hurt so freaking much that even the fear couldn't keep him moving anymore. 
he tried to focus on the Oread. Kibi's gift was a constant source of comfort, hidden under his shirt against his chest. It was the only thing in the world that felt pleasant anymore. His body was done. His authority wasn't recovering. At all. All the new authority he had made still existed, but it had been pushed too far out of alignment, or something like that. It was tired. He was tired. He couldn't thrust the chaos away. He felt like something was penetrating right through the rest of him to batter at his skill and the trait that was built onto it. Now, it seemed like even that was at risk of cracking apart. Alden kept urging it along, kept his fingers deliberately pressed against all of the machines on buttons, so to speak. But it was getting hard. He wondered if it would have been better or worse if he couldn't actually feel the machine. He could see it going either way. Maybe an avowed who wasn't able to feel the skill consciously wouldn't be able to keep forcing it to work in this situation. Or, maybe they would, and they wouldn't even know they were in this unique kind of pain. Alden had never been in pain before, when he felt the thing most humans called skill drain. He just, kind of stopped. The skill is stronger than it was, though. A lot stronger. He remembered months and months ago how that single fleck of a demon grasshopper had landed on Kibi's hair and made him reel. He knew it was a direct strike against the skill from a creature that actually magnified chaos. But he thought he could take it much more easily now. He was positive that the skill could not have preserved another person for days before. And now it could. It could do it even here, in this hostile place, where Alden was falling apart. At least level four, he thought. If it's not at least there by now, I'm going to have a fight with the system about its abilities as a judge. He stepped wrong. His ankle rolled. It had happened before. But this time it was bad enough that he was pulled for a moment from his focus on the skill and the assault of the chaos back into his beleaguered body. Without his attention, his trait collapsed. It just turned itself off without his permission. Even though he was still carrying Kibi, his feet sank an inch into soft dirt. Yeah, this is worse than bad, he thought tiredly, kicking up soil and sand as he trudged forward. Gotta keep the willpower and the focus up somehow. Abusing my adrenal glands with reverse peace of mind isn't going to cut it from here on it. He was so tired his vision was tunneling. He planted his last sprinkler. It hadn't worked well for its past two uses, and it didn't for this one either. It just dribbled water down its plastic sides, and he had to wait a long time for his bag to catch enough to make a decent amount for drinking. This time it didn't. He got a measly cup before it quit for good. Alden gulped it down. Saving the last sip in his mouth while he fumbled with fingers that had once been kind of dexterous for the very last of his last resorts, he pulled out a small silver pill bottle and poured the contents into his palm. This one keeps you from throwing up. This one keeps you from passing out. This one temporarily inoculates you against the Tet fever, and this last one makes you unable to register physical pain. He still remembered them all. He ditched the Tet Fever. Kibi said it didn't even exist on Moon the Gund, so who needed it? He tossed the other three into his mouth and swallowed them with the last of his water. 
It took less than a minute for the effects to kick in. Just as he'd remembered from his trip to the hospital with Stuart, the Artinans were great at drugging people. His vision untunneled. He could straighten his spine without the agony of a couple of different pulled muscles. He could put his full weight on the ankle he was pretty sure he'd just sprained. He felt normal, physically. If he didn't have common sense and authority sense, he would have thought they'd given him a healing miracle in a bottle. But he did have authority sense, so even though he felt great in one way, he felt like crap in another. He took a few steps forward easily, trying to get Azure Rabbit back online. Come on, come on, he thought, pushing at the part of his bound authority that belonged to the trait. You only do one trick, so you'd better do it. It was going to be a really slow walk without it. Maybe pushing isn't the right thing, he thought. Maybe it's more. He tried to picture the way the trait was designed. The thing the system had built for Alden to use. He had been poking at it angrily for ages now, resenting it even as he knew he needed it. So he knew what had gone wrong when he took a closer look at it. It wasn't just turned off. It was slightly askew. This wasn't something perception or positive thinking was going to fix. The trait itself had weakened and wobbled. It didn't want to recover. And now that Alden examined it with his mind free of the burden of a host of bodily aches and pains, it was a big crack in his overall stability, and that crack was deepening. Not good. There's got to be a way to mold my authority back into the proper shape of the trait. Like manipulating it to fill in the empty panes when I make patterns with the Oread. I know I can't alter the trait, but trying to patch what's already here by asserting its existence deliberately should be doable, right? Like, he took another step, and his foot finally left the ground in the way he wanted it to. Ha, he said in a rasping voice as he jogged forward. Alden can do magic intelligently now. He's an avowed with kinder wizard training. Admittedly, he was also hyped up on alien drugs and talking about himself in the third person. But it was still an impressive achievement. The good-bad thing about feeling a little better was that Alden actually had enough presence of mind to think again. He could imagine clearly all the terrible things that lay ahead. The worst, by far, was the thought of what would happen when he collapsed. He was sure that when the drugs gave out, he finally would, too. Permanently. Kibi would have to see that. He didn't want that for her. But there was nothing more he could do to prevent it from happening. Since running didn't hurt anymore, he was running. The wumph, wumph sounds came again. So much louder. He could see the ground shake clearly now. Soil jumped around him every time. In the distance, on the edge of the horizon, the sky looked strange. Far too dark. Like an approaching storm on a moon that never had them. Hours passed. The sound stopped. The storm clouds grew closer. Alden let his body move as if it wasn't being destroyed and focused all his attention on asserting his trait and his skill. Not even the rest of himself anymore. He'd had to stop. He'd had to choose. So he chose just those two things. They seemed like something the system had taken from Alden and written onto reality. They chained him. He'd never be rid of them. But if they were the only thing holding him here now, 
he'd rely on them. The kept wobbling and cracking, and he kept reasserting them. Who has language for existing harder? Me now. Apparently. A lot can change in a little while, I guess. He could feel his heart racing like it wanted to escape from his body. He could feel himself gasping like his lungs were begging him for air. Under his coat, his clothes were drenched, and he wasn't sure if it was sweat or blood. But none of it hurt. And he thought, maybe, that storm was his destination. So he didn't stop. 56. A Polite Request As always since coming to Moon the Gund, Alice Art H. woke feeling peace and tranquility. She slid from beneath the heated blankets of her bed and threw on a silk robe, her uniform for the day. Here, there was nobody around who would whisper behind their hands and wonder what it meant for the future of the Triplanets, that she had dared to stay in her pajamas for work. In decorous bliss, she thought, humming to herself as she brushed her dark lavender hair and read the messages scrolling across her mirror with one brown eye. They arrived from Artona I with a delay of almost an hour, reminding her of just how delightfully far out of reach she was at the moment. The original plan was for her to be at home right now, doing all the things a nurturing mother should do with a healthy set of newborn wizard triplets, nursing them, racing to their cribs at their every cry, coddling their tiny authority senses to be sure they were developing properly. Diapers. Thank goodness this corruption mishap had occurred just a week before she was scheduled to give birth. She'd waddled herself straight into the Grand Senate's emergency session and volunteered for duty, with enthusiasm that at least a few senators seemed to have mistaken for hostility, but the point was that she was off the hook. And this was the easiest assignment she'd taken in decades. They didn't like to have the quaternary at a post like this. Too long-term and low import. Yet here she was, months away from the political morass, family drama, and the immense stress that came from trying to like your own babies. It was just so hard when they were in that frightening, needy stage. They couldn't even talk to her yet, and she was always scared she might accidentally smush them with her authority in a fit of postpartum confusion. Some of the spouses in the household adored newborns. It was best to leave the triplets to them. Alice would take a vacation from work and fall in love with the little creatures when they were old enough to toddle around and make comprehensible sounds. Three, she thought, gliding out of her suite and entering the travel dome's dining room. I'd like to get to know them when they're around three. First meal was a beautiful spread of breads, jams, and smoked meats. No nasty military rations on this trip. There had been time to fully outfit the ship with everything she could possibly need, and if she wanted something beyond that, they could just zip right over to the other side of the moon and fetch it. You're awake early, night Alice Art H., said Roro from the opposite end of the dining table. Greetings on the new day. I am honored to be in your presence. No need to rise, Alice said quickly, but not quickly enough. Damn it. The Ikerlax was already hovering respectfully over her chair, her rainbow-colored wings creating a small gust in the room. Roro was new to Alice's team of avowed helpers. She had secretly wanted to work with an Ikerlax ever since she was a girl. 
Such an interesting people. Soft feather scales, four-clawed feet, the colorful wings. And they were known to promote a sense of well-being in their companions. Great for team building. But theirs was a rare species, and besides that, they didn't handle violence well. Emotionally, this had seemed like the perfect opportunity to invite one along for an easy, stress-free job and make a new acquaintance. Officially, Roro was the team healer. Only nobody was going to need healing because why would they in a place like this? Alice was just supposed to have one with her at all times when she was on duty. Roro, I've told you, you don't have to be so formal anymore. We're going to be here for months cleaning up. You just perch back and help yourself to some of these nice candied loon fruits. I know you like them. It's another great day for crushing the chaos out of an ugly moon, and all you have to do is watch through the dome. She glanced up at the transparent roof of the travel dome. It was completely coated in a thick layer of dust so that she couldn't even see the gloomy sky overhead. Oops. She'd meant to cast a spell over it yesterday to ward off the clouds of falling dirt. The triforming she was doing was messy. I will clean the dome while you are away this morning, night Alice Art H. By the time you return for second meal, it will be pristine. But Roro, I can do it in just a few moments with a... A spell. Hmm, maybe she'd been taking the wrong approach to relaxing the Ikerlax. The voyage here had taken ages, and the avowed still hadn't gotten any less stiff around Alice. She knew she was intimidating, but she wasn't that intimidating, surely? Roro had known how long the trip would be when she agreed to come along, so she shouldn't be mad about the assignment. Maybe she was one of those people who was more comfortable with a task, and the lack of work for a healer was only making her feel out of place? Yes, thank you. Alice said, please clean off the dome. That will be a big help. She took her seat so that the Ikerlax would stop hovering, and she smeared some bright green preserves on a piece of hot flatbread. The rest of the small ground team arrived as first meal progressed. There were six of them total living in the dome. Two wizards besides Alice had come down to the corruption zone with the group. They were old friends understanding about the pajamas. She'd left the other Artanans in orbit or ordered them to aid the locals in de-inconveniencing the cities. That had been left without the services of a contract for so long. She'd have to rejoin them and start behaving appropriately once the corruption was repaired. The contract re-establishment phase of the operation was going to be a bother. But there was some satisfaction in knowing they'd finally be giving this place a proper, fully functioning one. It would enable even non-wizards to communicate and travel around the triplanets with ease. A vast improvement in their lives that had been far too long in coming. Alice smiled and bit into her breakfast. She still had a long time before she had to associate with everyone on the ship. For now, she could just relax with her preferred companions. In addition to the three Artanans and the Ikerlax, there was an avowed Lorch who had worked as a secretary for Alice before becoming too elderly to travel with her on her usual assignments. The pay for a trip of this length would set him up nicely for retirement. 
If Alice couldn't convince him to deviate from his species' customs and accept some rejuvenation treatments, Craw, the Grivik, clawed his way up to the table last. Alice could just tell by the backwards tilt of his helmet, which he didn't need after his last set of enhancements but had chosen to wear since it had an excellent non-system translator, that he was gazing at everyone judgmentally. You know I could catch my own food if I wanted to, Alice said, looking up at the enormous avowed as she added flaked fish to another piece of flatbread, on a planet that actually had animals tasty enough to be worth the endeavor. Traveling with Grivix was a riot, usually, and she and Craw had been working together on and off for years. But he wasn't at all happy with the treats she'd had stabled on the spaceship especially for him. He claimed the small herd of Balkans were too domesticated to make good meals. Alice sighed. It had been hard to convince everyone that she needed to devote part of the ship to a bunch of angry alien livestock in the first place, and they'd almost eaten their handler twice. She was doing her best. It wasn't her fault that Moon the Gund lacked sufficiently entertaining food options for a Grivik so powerful that the most satisfying prey would actually be his traveling companions. I think the boredom is eroding my mind, Craw said in an eerie high shriek that was only partially modulated by the helmet's translation function. A few hours ago, I thought I sensed prey. No eating demons, Alice said promptly. There was nothing else out here he could have been sensing. Even if some small fry comes this way, it's just not a good idea. Kill it or run it into the smash zone. Can we fight each other after you are done battling dirt? I don't want my skills to dull. Roro gasped in horror. Alice glanced at the healer. What a suggestion, Craw. Of course not. My goodness. Violence is so violent. Perhaps this afternoon you and I should go for a peaceful walk together instead. Far, far away. A little friendly exercise of our legs. Craw made the terrifying sound that was a Grivix laugh. Yes, we will exercise our legs. And our claws. And our teeth. I hope he doesn't actually expect me to use my teeth, Alice thought. The conversation turned to the plans for the day. People filled her in on what she'd missed while she slept. Back home, someone was in a tizzy about that giant explosion a few days ago at Whirly Roden's old facility. They wanted Alice to go and get proof that it had been an act of deliberate sabotage by the former owner. Something she had already decided not to do. She wasn't that invested in Roden's situation. But her brother had looked mildly unhappy when he told her the man had been pulled from the Gund. So she would just wait a while before turning her attention to it. Let the corruption work on the site for a few more months so she could say that there was no way to be sure whether or not some angry scientist might have planted a bomb there before he was hauled off by the authorities. And how could anyone expect her to rush over for such a petty personal vendetta when there was chaos to beat into submission? Creative beating was Alice Arthas's preferred method. Very stress-relieving, and she liked looking behind her to see the nice, flat, and fertile chaos-free land she'd left in her wake. One of the Artinans handed her a tablet, and she read over the notes they'd made on the area that was to be cleared today. 
atmospheric readings, altitude and depth of the corruption zone, numbers that indicated a million tiny fractures in this patch of reality that she would be fixing by overwriting it, with a stronger version of her own making. She supposed to the untrained eye it must look like she was only lifting millions of fells of soil into the atmosphere, and then slamming them back into the ground again for her own amusement. And, yes, that was what she was doing. But there was technique involved. It required extraordinary control and quite a lot of thought to operate on this scale. It's not boring, she said to Craw as she stood up from the table. Everyone was bustling, making preparations to leave the dome. I have to use both sides of my brain for it. I wish someone with great power would attack you, said the Grivik. I do think I need a challenge. The prey sense is only getting stronger. Perhaps it is the Ikerlax. Roro let out a strangled squawk of horror. The healer had been about to step out the dome's hexagonal door with a bucket of cleaning supplies. Oh no. When she offered to clean did she mean she was going to scrub it with her hands? I thought she must have some kind of spell impression that would help at least. Alice hadn't done exhaustive research into the Ikerlax before they left Artona I and the contract behind. She preferred to let Avowed show off their non-essential skills and spells when the need arose instead of digging into every single detail of their power set. It made for fun surprises when you were getting to know a new person. Roro, it's just a joke. Craw would never slaughter a shipmate. It would be rude. The healer threw the door open wider and leaped back. A moment later, two people stepped in. Staggered in, Alice corrected herself, staring at the filthy pair in shock. People were not supposed to be alive within the corruption zone. No rescue orders had been issued. One of them was, she thought, a human male. Under all the sweat and blood and dirt. Though that didn't seem right or possible at all. Maybe he was a tall Artanen with unusual bone structure? He was wearing a long red coat that was partially melted and full of holes. His companion, a small girl, was also not right or possible in this context. One of her hands had a corruption wound, and the other, with a dark blue oread wrapped around it, was gripping his tightly. They both reeked, in the organic way and the chaotic one. The humanish person smiled faintly through cracked lips at the sight of the gathered wizards and avowed and collapsed onto his knees. The girl never let go of his hand. Her eyes landed on Alice and widened. Night Alice Art H, she said in a loud, firm voice. I am Kivi E, and this is Alden. We are friends of your brother. We politely request assistance. A small, colorful parrot person ripped Alden's shirts in half like they were made of tissue paper and shoved clawed hands, covered in a fine layer of scales against his chest. A moment before, they had done the same thing to Kibi. He heard them saying things rapidly. It was Artanen, but he could barely understand any of it. Sound was strange. His vision was strange. It was like his senses were no longer properly connected to his brain. We did it, he kept thinking as he lay on his back in the floor, staring up at the ceiling. He and Kibi had thought this place was made of dirt when they first approached, but it was just coated in the stuff. We made it out. 
He had run through a cloud of dust particles that made it hard to breathe until he'd come to a short but enormously wide cliff in the landscape. It was fifteen or so feet of sudden topographical difference in a smooth crescent shape that extended as far as his blurred vision could make out. Why had the Artinans dug out the soil? Or squashed it flatter? Alden didn't know. It didn't matter. The crescent was the bite someone had taken out of the Chaos Pizza. It had to be. On the other side, Kibby would be safe. There was no way to climb down, so he jumped. He'd landed badly and heard something snap. He wasn't sure if it was an ankle or a wrist or a muscle. He still couldn't feel pain. Probably the parrot person knows what it was. He thought he was supposed to know the name of their species, but he couldn't even make himself want to remember facts right now. We did it. We made it out. Kibby's grip tightened on his hand. He dropped preservation on her a while ago, was it minutes or hours, when he thought they must surely be out of the chaos. Based on the way the maps had looked, he'd had to do it, to ask her if they'd come far enough. Because Alden couldn't tell anymore. His authority sense was so overwhelmed by the sensation of the machine the system had given him cracking and cracking, that he didn't even have the bandwidth to feel the chaos if it was there. Kibby said it wasn't. She said they were safe here. He reasserted the skill. It cracked. He reasserted it. He raged against it accidentally. It cracked. He reasserted it. Kibi made sure to keep the oread around her wrist pressed against his skin. She'd borrowed it from him as they approached to keep it safe. That's right. We aren't sure what they'll think if they find out it's mine. She's making sure they don't take it away from me. Alden was glad one of them had remembered. She was talking quickly to the people in the room, answering questions. The parrot person's hands were cold on Alden's chest. They asked everyone something in an anxious tone. Alden's brain deciphered it for him slowly. I have never encountered this species. Without a contract assisting, it's a little difficult to know what I should. Can someone bring me a? He's a human. Kibi sounded offended on Alden's behalf. He's the best human. He is the best avowed in the universe. It's okay, Kibi. I can't even remember what the parrot people are called, so we're even. Something shrieked. An echoey translation in Artanen followed. Sophie? No. He'd seen the Grivik when they entered. It was twice Sophie's size. No, he's not the best avowed, Craw, a woman's voice shouted. He's a ribe child. That's the pregnant lady from the party. Stuart's aunt. She's not pregnant anymore. And she sounds pissed off. A man in wizard's garb leaned over Alden to pass the parrot person a tablet. The device was speaking rapidly in a language he didn't recognize. The healer set it beside his head and placed their hands back on his chest, looking from him to the screen and back again with bright yellow eyes. A rye beat, the Grivik said in a tone Alden recognized as pleased from his experience with Sophie. Like me. Not like you, Alisartach snapped. He's exponentially weaker than you. He does parties. He's not supposed to be here. Nobody is supposed to be here. What if I had crushed them both when I was the moon? 
I think I understand his body well enough to get started at least, the parrot person announced. Someone carry him to the medical room, please. I need to stay with him, Kibi said, smashing her hand and the Oread with it against his. He needs me. She needs healing, too. But him first. Young Kivii, you cannot keep holding his hand. Alden tried to tell Kibi it was okay. She could let go of him for a second. He wasn't going to fall apart without the Oread. Maybe. But when he tried to speak, the words were such a croak he couldn't even make them out himself. Kibi almost head-butted the healer in an effort to stare into his eyes. Take my Oread, she said loudly, looping it back around his neck. It will keep you safe while you are being healed. Someone made a slightly pained sound, one of the other Artanans most likely, but nobody objected. Kibi's so cool, Alden thought. She's the coolest person I've ever met. His authority cracked inside the confines of the skill. He tried to reassert. It cracked more. He managed to realign it. I think if they knock me out to heal me, I might die. He wasn't scared at all. He wondered why. Slender arms lifted him easily. It was Alisart H. Stuart's aunt bit her lower lip and narrowed her eyes at Alden. Low rank, she muttered so quietly he almost didn't catch the words. Her face was tight. Stuck here for months. Skill active for days. I think maybe I should look at. An authority so massive it dwarfed understanding pressed against Alden's own. It wasn't trying to hurt him, but it was too much. If he had possessed the strength to do anything but shore himself up, he would have pushed back against it reflexively. As it was, his own power simply lay quiescent, enduring the examination. After it was over, the other presence backed off. But not completely. Alden still felt an odd pressure and stillness around him. It seemed to help with the cracking. A little. Alisart H.S. face was dark as she looked down at him, and then her expression cleared. She smiled over her shoulder. Probably at Kibi. Don't worry, she said. Your friend will be fine after some healing and rest. Oh, wow, thought Alden. That was 100% a loving lie. You really could learn a lot about Artanans by watching their children's shows. 57. A Scale Tips When Alden woke from his initial healing session, he hurt like hell. Roro had knocked him out with a spell while she worked on him. It was her main magical pain relief method, but she couldn't safely keep him under indefinitely. And whatever overkill mind-altering drug Leafsong had given him had finally worn off at that point. Very apologetic. The Ikerlax gave him something that worked about as well as an aspirin and explained that some of the wizards were trying to track down and or brew serious, human-approved meds. Being healed was a process. She'd knock him out again soon. Until then, Alden got to feel all of the damage. Stress fractures, broken ankle, broken toes, swollen knees, torn muscles, missing skin, missing nails, giant oozing sores on his ribs and back. He'd been in bad shape before he took the magic pill. Being desperate and unable to register pain had kept him going long after nature would have made him lie down, but it had also let him demolish himself. 
Roro explained that she'd used their first healing bout to deal with the strain on his heart, his dehydration, and his dust-abraded eyes and lungs. All great choices, in Alden's opinion. But even though he understood, it was still disturbing to see himself looking like an infected, broken, and partially skinned monster. The healer left to rest for a couple of hours, came back, and Alden went under again. He woke up completely pain-free and feeling like he had solidish bones. The med room was full of way more equipment than it had been when he'd first arrived, and he had a couple of IVs. Kibi came in shortly after that for what was apparently her own second healing session. She wanted to sit in a chair right beside Alden's bed, and since Roro didn't mind, Alden had a front-row seat he was not prepared for while the Ikerlax literally chopped away patches of corruption damage from Kibi's hands and arms and then slowly regrew clean flesh in its place. He tried not to freak out about how awful the process looked, especially since he was the only one bothered. Kibi had accepted painkillers but refused sedation, and she and Roro were having a relaxed and informative discussion about Artanen biology while the healer worked. Watching the healing did make Alden wonder about how powerful the other avowed was. When Stuart's foot had been blown up, there had been tons of wizard doctors in the operating room at the hospital to patch him up. Admittedly, that had been extreme damage to a whole limb. But Roro seemed to be working really fast and without too much strain to fix him and Kibi all by herself. The third time he went under and came back. He woke with fresh skin on his feet and the other places he'd needed it and a different set of IVs. The new skin was tender, but he was really glad to see it there. All in all, Alden was in and out of consciousness for what he thought was around six days. He could have asked for the precise number. It just didn't seem that important. Physically, he went from feeling like he'd been run over by a vicious lawnmower to feeling incredibly well. Every time he thought the healer was done with him, she would reappear and ask for permission to knock him out and improve on something else she'd found. Sometimes when he groggily came to, he saw her watching medical lectures on a tablet in her own language. When he asked her about it, she eagerly told him how very exciting it was to deeply explore the cells of a new species. Alden was surprised to learn that the systems often picked up slack when it came to an avowed doing cross-species healing. Roro's skills and spells were something she didn't even have to think about when it came to Artanans or her own kind, since they'd been designed specifically to handle them and it sounded like she'd enhanced herself with other species-specific healing options as she developed her talents. But she had not anticipated meeting a human. With a new kind of patient in front of her and no direct help from a system, she said she was enjoying the added challenge and artistry of fixing him. On around the sixth day, she started talking about what percentages of his body fat should be stored in various locations, and Alden concluded that he was not being healed back to what had been normal for him pre-moon the gund. Instead, he was being brought to ideal physical health for his age. He assumed Kibi was getting the same treatment. She had been rocketing around the medical room with above-average energy levels lately, 
and yesterday she'd reported to him that she was growing 30% more hair on top of her head. Alden let Roro do whatever she wanted. She was happy. Kibi was happy. It seemed like the two of them were fast becoming friends. That was good. The Ikerlax was smart, and she had a gentleness about her that seemed to permeate the whole room. It was soothing to be in her presence. Kibi needed a friend like that. The next time Alden's eyes opened, he was tucked into the most comfortable bed he'd ever slept in. The sheets were silky and exactly the right temperature. The pillow was lightly and pleasantly scented. And something magical was definitely going on with the mattress. No pressure points. He almost felt like he was floating in dense water. It wasn't the medical area. He let his eyes roam around the dimly lit room, taking in the luxurious furnishings, until they landed on the other occupant. Knight Alisart H. sat behind a pale wooden desk with curved legs. A three-paneled piece of abstract art on the wall behind her was giving off a soft golden glow, and she was writing with a pen in what looked like an oversized journal. Something of a rarity. You hardly ever saw Artinans using paper when they had such ubiquitous access to tech and magic. Kibi wasn't around. Kibi was almost always around. She'd stuck to Alden like glue ever since they arrived. The other day he'd woken up and heard a familiar sound from under his bed in the medical area, and when he'd rolled over to check, he'd seen her curled up there, doing her squeaky snore. No Kibi sleeping in the quaternary's own room. So, he thought, it's today. He'd been wondering when Alice Art H was finally going to talk to him. The knight had only come by to see him a single time so far, and their conversation had been brief and stiff compared to the more playful version of her he remembered from the party. He didn't know what she thought or felt about him. He was sure he knew what she was going to tell him, though, and the stiffness was only to be expected. He considered making a sound to let her know he was awake, just to get it over with quicker. But he didn't really want it to be over with quicker. It had been fun for the past couple of days. He'd been magically turned into someone ridiculously healthy. He'd met a huge Grivik Rybeet who'd waxed poetic about his skills in hard surface scouring and multi-species massage therapy. And he'd spent lots of time talking to a Kibi who was happy, relaxed, and unstrained by the chaos. So instead of calling attention to himself, he lay there quietly, enjoying the comfy bed and listening to the pen scratch against the paper. It was the only sound other than his own breathing. His tinnitus was gone. He'd asked Roro to take care of it, and she'd been thrilled to have a specific target for her attentions. Especially since he wouldn't let her get rid of the shrapnel scar on his abdomen. Finally, Alice Art H looked up and realized he was watching her. Oh, Alden. She gave him the smile, the same forced one Hannah had given him when she first realized he was awake inside the bubble. You're awake. How are you today? I've never been healthier in my life. Your healer is wonderful. She does have the most stellar qualifications. Though when I asked her if she would come along for this assignment, I assumed she wouldn't actually have to do anything. The smile fell. She hitched it back up. She had a very readable face. 
Or maybe it was just that Alden was comparing her to Joe. I'm happy to tell you that we have a teleportation on board the ship we arrived on. It's not as good as a contract-to-contract -contract teleport, but it's better than nothing. Now that you're well, I'm sure you're excited to get back home. Alden was surprised. He'd thought the lie several days ago had only been for Kibby. It is kind of nice to get one, I guess. If you understand why she's doing it. You don't have to feel bad about it, he said, sitting up in the bed. It's not your fault I'm dying. He wished he could be a little more specific and let her know he actually understood what she'd been doing for him ever since he arrived. But it was Joe who'd told him that this situation could happen. During the conversation covered by the Extra Absolute Secrecy Agreement, a scale tips, the professor had said. Kibi had begun to existentially stabilize and recover her authority almost as soon as they set foot in the cleansed zone. Alden had, too, in a way, but he was still falling apart. He wondered if it had even been the chaos rupturing his skill and his trait during that last day of the long journey, or if that had just been an added disaster on top of the one already taking place within him. Now that he was out of the corruption, his power felt so strange. The unbound authority was strong again. It was thrilling, amazing. But it was also like some giant bird that wanted to launch itself to new heights, without any regard for the fact that his affixation was collapsing under the force of it. Alice Art H. had been doing something all this time to keep it in check. She'd been holding her authority over him like a weighted blanket. That and his own efforts to directly repair the damage with his beginner-level control were the only things keeping him from what Joe had once assured him would be an agonizing death or something much worse. The Artanen woman looked stricken. You knew, she said, setting aside her pen. I would have talked to you much sooner if I'd realized, occasionally, avowed consents it when they're at risk of imbalance and loss of skill assignment. I wasn't sure about you. I haven't worked with a human closely before, and everyone is different. At first, I thought you might be able to, since you seemed to feel my brother's power at that party, but then you were so calm I decided I must be mistaken. I can feel that something's wrong. An understatement. I'm told it feels like a dread with no source to those without an artinan sense for it. I'm sorry. That must be awful. Alden blinked. That would be awful. What was happening to him was also awful, but at least it wasn't sourceless, incomprehensible dread. It's not your fault, he said again. But I want to talk about it without kind lies. I have questions. What's going to happen to Kivii? She took a deep breath. Eventually, she'll be in the care of a cousin on Artona I, her closest relative. However, that will take some time. The entire Moon the Gund contract collapsed. We'll be an entirely new one. At that point, it will be safe for everyone to teleport in and out again. And for the people who reside here, something that will vastly improve the quality of their lives. But it will be several more months. She wants to learn magic. And I think meeting a knight was one of her goals, but I guess we've done that. Alice Art H. gave him the first real smile he'd seen on her face since he arrived. 
The two of you are best friends with my brother, I believe. Alden snorted. It's even funnier if you know how difficult he is to make friends with. To answer your worry, the girl will be safe and well, either here with us or with a family until she can join her relative. She paused. She is very proper around me now that she is sure I am taking good care of you. I doubt she will ask me for anything at all herself. If you tell me what she wants, I will get it for her. Alden had a long mental list of all the things Kibi needed, wanted, and deserved. And he didn't hesitate for a second in asking the knight for every single one of them. Rather than becoming annoyed by the number of requests, Alice Art H. seemed relieved that he had them. If Kibi didn't have some objection, she would be living here in the Travel Dome for the next several months, having magic lessons with some very talented wizards and spending lots of time with Roro. They would help her get in touch with instructor Gwen Lore, and they would arrange for her future attendance at the elementary boarding school if her cousin didn't refuse. Alice Art H. said she couldn't imagine why the cousin would. Sending a child off to wizard school was an achievement for most people. She would also be able to talk to Joe and the people who had been rescued from the lab. That was the only request the knight balked at. I have noticed her affection for Whirly Roden, she said in a frosty tone while she sipped on a cup of tea. Roro had brought first meal and an extra chair for Alden a while ago. He sat at the desk across from Alice Art H, working his way through two giant plates of food. Healing made you feel like you were starving. His stomach had been a bottomless pit all week, and the Ikerlax was completely charmed by his diet anyway. She seemed to think it was a pacifistic choice on his part. Alden forced himself to swallow instead of talking with his mouth full. Roden is really generous to his assistants. Kibi had assured Alden Joe was the guy to work for if you were a scientist interested in chaos and demonic energies. It was a field of study often limited to the wizard class, but Joe apparently didn't enjoy working with other wizards. Someone who treats their own species well while behaving as if a member of another one is a disposable tool is not a good. Role model, maybe? The knight used more unfamiliar words than Kibi did. He guessed he'd just gotten used to his roommate's vocabulary. When what Alice Art H had said finally registered, Alden's eyes widened. Oh, she's really mad I'm here, he realized. He'd definitely gotten angry vibes from the quaternary right from the moment he walked into her dome and collapsed in front of her. But he hadn't been sure if she was inconvenienced by the presence of two dirty injured people, upset she'd almost crushed Kibi in what appeared to be an intense magical terraforming project, or just upset in general that something unexpected had happened and she'd been ill-informed. Roden did tell me it was dangerous to pick berries on Moon the Gund, he said. It was kind of funny to Alden that he had to keep talking about berries with someone who knew for a fact that he'd been sent here to rescue Joe's assistants. During his first round of medical treatment, Kibi had described him as St. Alden the savior of the lab to everyone in the dome. After all, she didn't have any contract tattoos preventing her from telling people the full story. 
She'd even embellished it a little in his favor before she'd realized that Roro was going to take good care of him regardless of whether or not he deserved it. Nobody forced me to come here, Alden added. The knight's expression was unyielding. I am sure he told you everything you needed to know before you agreed and that he had your best interests at the front of his mind, she said caustically, slamming her cup down. Alden jumped. He was certain the cup would have shattered if it hadn't been made of wood. I am sure he did not throw an ignorant young teenager at a problem of his own making like a dash. She's gonna kill Joe. I'm all right, he said hastily. You are literally moments away from dying horribly. Alden dropped his fork. He didn't mean to. His fingers just let go without his permission. He winced. HS face paled. Ah, uh, said Alden. I meant I'm all right, emotionally. It wasn't untrue. He didn't know why he was okay with the situation, but he was. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he'd been sure on some level, for a very long time, that he was going to die here on Moon the Gund. He wanted to go home so badly, but it had been ages since he really believed himself when he imagined doing it. Probably that's the opposite of being all right emotionally, he thought. But it didn't change the fact that he somehow felt like he'd won just by making it here. The silence that fell in the room was awkward. Might as well lean into it. So moments away from death? How many moments? Should I eat faster? He tried for a smile. Alice Art H just sat there staring at him. Kibby says my jokes are bad. She pushed her plate away from her and sighed. Not bad. I enjoy humor usually, but it's depressing coming from an avowed in your situation. I will remove my protection from you this afternoon. I am not skilled enough to fix what is wrong with you. I would be prolonging things pointlessly if I tried, and I would risk you. There are very few people who might be able to help, and the Triplanets cannot any of them. They are all assigned elsewhere. I, I did look into it. Ah, okay, thought Alden, staring at a small round fruit that looked like a candied apricot. It's this afternoon. The fact that you survived for this long in even a low-level corruption environment at your age and rank shows natural talent. The knight said, The same talent my brother detected in you, I believe. But it is not enough to earn you extraordinary help. I am truly sorry. It was already good of you to stop cleaning up the moon so that you could take care of me. Alden assumed that was why he hadn't gotten to experience the daily dirt-smashing phenomenon up close since he arrived. Alice Art H had stopped working as soon as he got here. Do not thank me, she said, looking away from him to stare at a mirrored dressing table. My kindness is. The best thing I could do for you would be to ignore my task here, maintain my, on your presence and travel with you back to Artona I, where the contract can probably save you. We might make it. She still wasn't looking at him, but that would take months. Delaying the cleansing of the corruption and the creation of a contract here, one stable enough to allow all citizens to teleport and receive aid from the rest of the universe, would cost lives. Probably too many to be, by your own future potential. 
Alden wondered if he should have specified that he would prefer to have something between the loving lie and total honesty. It did hurt to know there were salvation methods that wouldn't be used. The only recourse left to you is the emergency teleportation option on our ship, Alice Art H continued. It would not be safe for someone as weak as you even under normal circumstances. In your situation, even with the mother planet as an ideal and relatively close destination, I do not think you will survive the trip. Alden looked up from his plate. There really is a teleporter? She finally turned back to him. Yes, did you think I made it up? I thought you were just trying to make me feel better. I was. It's a bad option, but it does exist. Alden felt something stir inside him. He hoped it wasn't hope. That seemed like a very dangerous emotion at a time like this. And the contract on Artona, I can help me? Crap. It was definitely hope. He tried to crush it back down, but he felt his heart rate pick up. It's ideal for Avowed to return to their home contract for skill assignment. Especially in situations like this. But the mother planet is the second best choice. That sounds like a good plan then, Alden said, wondering if he looked excited. He hoped he didn't look excited. It was entirely the wrong thing at this moment. You are probably going to die, stupid. You were fine with it ten seconds ago. Focus on the stuff you need to get done. What was that stuff again? Kibi would be fine. Oh, yes. Can I make some kind of a legal request saying who gets my possessions if I die? He didn't know if Artenans did wills. The system actually had options for listing your beneficiaries, but Alden hadn't had the time or the inclination to set that kind of thing up. I got summoned a couple of hours after I agreed to the contract, and then I was busy. So I never thought about it seriously. Alice Art H closed her eyes for a moment and when she opened them again, her facial expression had smoothed into something more neutral. I can be the, for any sort of contract, magical or legal, you wish to make, she said. Naturally, I will see to it that your requests are honored. Great, thought Alden. Kibby and Bo can have their share of my Argold all at once. But Aunt Connie should probably receive inheritance money in installments. Jeremy could have Alden's non-monetary stuff. His parents were rich, and he was the kind of person who got nostalgic over mementos. 58. If this one makes it to you, saying goodbye to Kibby sucked. Alden asked himself what he would want for the two of them in an absolutely perfect universe, and the answer was that he'd like for them to live together in a peaceful, chaos-free cottage on Earth with a kidnapped instructor Gwen Lore on the premises to teach them magic every day and nothing but endless amounts of free time. He told Kibby this while they took a long walk together across the bare, chaos-free soil of Moon the Gund, leaving the dome far behind. It was almost completely private. He could still feel Alice Art H. But she must not have been able to hear his words or his thoughts or she'd have had a much better understanding of him than she actually did. We would have to be excellent students if we kidnapped her, Alden, Kibby said. It would add a lot of pressure. We can handle pressure. Yes, Kibby agreed. 
Will you send me a message as soon as you get back to Earth? Alden's large breakfast was heavy in his stomach. It might take me a while to settle in and get used to home and the contract again, he said finally. Give me a few human weeks, and then I'll send you messages through night Alice Art H and pester you every day. If she wasn't expecting him to reach out for a while, she could relax into life here before she realized something bad had happened. She could be a child, she could grow close to Roro and the wizards. She could have some cushion against the news. You have to hide the Oread under your flower shirt before we get back, Kibby reminded him. Alden realized he'd been rubbing it again and tucked it away. His wardrobe had been reduced to a cleaned but abused-looking Hawaiian shirt and some loaned wizard pants so short they landed, just below his knees. He didn't even have a pair of shoes. He'd been going barefoot everywhere. He buttoned the top button on the shirt. Hidden, he asked. She nodded. I don't think Knight Alice Art H would care that it's yours. Do you want to tell her? I don't mind. You said maybe it would be dangerous once. I don't know that people will be upset. I'm just not sure. Then we shouldn't say anything, Kibby said. I like keeping secrets with you anyway. Alden smiled. I like it, too. You know what I don't like? What? The fact that you're going to get so far ahead of me now that you're learning magic from wizards who were chosen to be companions for a night. It's true, Kibby said, grinning up at him. I will exceed you in every way. Even if I'm the best avowed in the universe? You will be the best avowed. I will be the next primary. Wow, you're killing your hero just like that? So much ambition. He doesn't have to die. He just has to become secondary instead. I'm excited. Alden reached for her hand as they turned back to the dome. I'm going to have matching face tattoos with the primary one day. Alden got to ride in a spaceship. To a bigger spaceship. It was something so far outside his imagination that it had never even made it onto his bucket list. The small egg-shaped transport vessel that ferried them from the ground to the ship in orbit had giant windows. Alice Art H was the only other passenger, and she quickly realized that Alden wasn't paying attention to her at all as they rose swiftly but gently through thick yellow-gray clouds, and he finally saw what had been beyond them all this time. Below him, there was the curve of the moon's atmosphere as it fell away. And there was Kim Noor, an aqua and green gas giant with striations like Jupiter's, set against a field of black. God, he said in English. It's beautiful. He pressed a hand to the window. He felt very small. There was a lot of time to stare, but it still wasn't enough. When they docked with the larger ship, he tried not to be disappointed that their trip through the narrow white corridors did not take them past any viewing areas. There were a lot of wizards on board. Most of them stood out of the way and made respectful gestures to the knight as she passed. Someone ran up with a tablet to ask a question about a technical matter and got a look that made even Alden, in the strange mood he was in, feel vicarious mortification. That guy is probably going to go back to his cabin and cry, he thought, as he watched the wizard jog down the corridor. 
they arrived at the teleportation chamber quickly. For some reason, Alden wasn't prepared for that. He knew he should have been. The ship was large, but it was still only a ship. Just because he was walking to what was probably his death, it didn't mean the trip would get longer out of respect. The circular door cracked in an odd asymmetrical pattern at their approach and drew back into the walls in segments. Alice Art H. strode into the room. Get out, she said to the five other Artinans assembled there. I can finish powering it up myself. The wizard scurried away from her and passed Alden without glancing back. He just stood there on the threshold, staring. It didn't look anything like a teleportation alcove or the seminarium. The floor was covered in gray sand. The ceiling was hidden by an impenetrable darkness. Large rocks and chunks of what looked like driftwood were arranged in patterns that almost made sense, but not quite. All of the light came from a line of flames a foot wide that spiraled across the walls. The air smelled like blood. Alden didn't know how long he stood at the threshold, watching Alice Art H. touch various objects one by one and murmur over them. But he was sure it was too long. His chest felt tight. He couldn't quite control his breathing. The knight never told him to hurry up and step inside the room. Eventually, he did it anyway. The sand was soft under his bare feet. Do I stand in the center? You can stand wherever you like, she said in the same steady voice she'd been using with him for hours. The entire room is the focus of the spell. Alden stood in the center anyway. It just seemed like the thing to do. He looked down at his hands and realized they were trembling, so he stuffed them into the pockets of his borrowed pants. Artinans are really great about pockets. They put tons of them on absolutely everything. Probably because they were always carrying so much magic junk. His left hand found the ball of putty he'd been hauling around for months, and he squeezed it. He wondered what Alice Art H. would think if she knew he was holding onto one of her nephew's bones. He'd started to throw it away after the experiment with Kibby's blood. Gorgon had asked him not to do the right again, and he couldn't even fathom a situation in which he would want to intimately connect with Stu Art H.'s mind and soul, in order to be some kind of gremlin-directed, authority-wasting wishing well. But keeping it together had been pretty hard lately, and Alden had learned to value any little thing that made him smile. Like, there was definitely something funny about being a rabbit carrying around a lucky wizard's foot. Macabre, but funny. Is there anything, Alice Art H hesitated, then seemed to change her mind about what she wanted to say. I will step out of the room. You will remain under my protection until the last possible moment. The teleportation spell will, you toward Artona I, and the contract will take over once you arrive. If it works, Alden said. Yes. He dug his toes into the sand. That sounds good. Thank you for your help. Yes, of course. She turned to go. Alden felt an urge to ask her to wait. He swallowed hard and ignored it. She'd already agreed to do everything he really cared about. He didn't have anything else to say. He just didn't want to be alone. Alice Art H crossed the few paces to the door and stopped there for a moment. 
Then she suddenly spun back around and returned to join him in the center of the room. Maybe she can read minds, after all? Alden thought. She cleared her throat and looked up at him. Before you go, let me give you a message to deliver. He didn't know what she meant. He was startled when she lifted her arms to cup his cheeks in both hands. She stared at him for a moment, searching his face like she was memorizing it, then she met his gaze. Mother, she said clearly, if this one makes it to you, place both of your eyes upon him. He has done more for us than he had to. She let go of Alden's face, gave him a stiff nod, and left. The strange door shut behind her. He stood there for several seconds with nothing but the flickering shadows of the things in the room for company. Fists clenched, heart pounding, he tried one last time to control his own raging authority to reassert the existence of the skill, to do anything and everything he could before it happened. The saving blanket of Alice Arthas' authority vanished suddenly. Alden slammed his eyes shut. He felt pure terror and pain. Then, he didn't feel anything at all. Ritual of Return Ritual of Return Detected Ritual Legally Authorized by Low Alice Art H. Contract I Attempting to Establish Connection to Spell and Preserve Hachiety Attempting to Establish Connection to Spell and Preserve Hachiety Connection to Spell Established Hachiety of Passenger is Damaged Priority of Passenger is Low Likelihood of passenger survival is low. Chance of significant fallout upon arrival is 4.28%. Cost of salvation exceeds thresholds. Risk exceeds thresholds. Destruction of ritual of return will commence in 0.002 urn. Final analysis prior to destruction underway. Analysis completed. Personal request from low Alice Art H detected. Modifying records. Awaiting decision from mother. Decision made. Passenger reprioritized. Contract I realigning resources to support ritual of return. Rerouting destination in case of fallout. Attempting to repair passenger hachiety.